What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Well, hello, this is Michael Adams, Nothing But The Truth. And uh, it's March the 16th, 2015. We're going to do part two of uh, Contemplative Prayer Deception. And before we get started, we'll look at some of the headlines, yahoo.com. Looks like uh, headline number two is Pope Zero Tolerance for Pedophiles Faces Test and Chile, Associated Press, uh, San Diego, Chile, AP, Juan Carlos Cruz recalls that he and another teen boy would lay down in the priest's bed on one resting his head on the man's shoulder, uh, another sitting near his feet. You can read more about that. Of course, got another thing about the Huffington Post, uh, the Huffington Post about the uh, Philippines' Steve Illusions, time for an economic, um, EN, excuse me, ETSA revolution. Um, Article 4, at least, excuse me, at this Catholic parish, 80% of the parishioners are LGBT. On a damp and chilly Saturday morning, a dozen men and women converge on Most Holy Redeemer Church. Um, uh, Nothing think about the Philippines. Islamic militant group leader captured in the Philippines. And as I said, uh, since the Pope has showed up, there's been a lot of... Uh, Talk about the Philippines. Uh, pastor uh, under fire for comparing gays to ex murderers, Tribune. Um, Norway's Catholic Church denies fraud, AFP. Um, the Oslo Diocese and two officials, the bishop, the bishop and a, a financial officer are suspected of fraudulently registering thousands of people on their uh, members list. <laughs> it's never-ending, is it, folks? Um, Pope Jubilee plans raises fears for terror threat, Washington Post. Anyways, that should be sufficient right there to um, demonstrate once again that there's one particular organization that's dominating the headlines, and what do you think about that, huh? Anyways, before we get started in our study about contemplative prayer, I got uh, this article I found from the National Catholic Reporter. It started out with the, I uh, discovered a uh, article from back 2013, although we're not going to be reading that today, from uh, the Black Pope criticizing the United States for uh, attacking um, 
the Middle East country, what's it called again? Uh, Syria. <laughs> what am I saying? Syria. So, anyways, eh, quite a bit of hypocrisy and hyperbole, 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 whatever it is. <sighs> Having a hard time talking. So, anyways, um, convicted. This is. Uh, Coming from the horse's mouth, a convicted Minnesota priest removed from a clerical state. One of the primary priests that's triggered the now more than year-long clergy abuse scandal in St. Paul's, Minnesota Archdiocese has been uh, lay aside. Uh, the RCDC announced Wednesday afternoon that the Vatican has removed Curtis uh, Weimer from the clerical state. Uh, the decision bars him from presenting himself as a priest or exercising priestly ministry. In addition, he cannot teach or hold a leadership role in any Catholic institution. Uh, Weimar is currently serving a five-year prison sentence. In November 2012, he pleaded guilty to 20 felony charges for sexual abuse of two minors and possession of children pornography. He was sentenced uh, the following February. He was charged in November in Wisconsin on second-degree sexual assault of a teenage boy in relation to a summer 2011 camping trip. And if you want to read more about that, you certainly can. Uh, one more example. By this came out on March 11th of this month. Of the absolute decadence, corrupted corruption that's in the largest cult on the planet right now. Um, well, maybe the second, but the largest in Definitely influencing us in more ways than we are we care to admit. And uh, one more reason why to come out of her, people come out of her. So, and of course tonight tonight's going to be a long show. And uh, once again, Catholic connections all the way around. It's apparent to me that for at least seventeen to eighteen hundred years. Uh, some kind of association with these men. Maybe they weren't called Catholics back then, but they still talk about the, the Desert Fathers in North Africa and spiritualism. Um, we, got, we are dealing with uh, a total assault uh, at, at all angles, at all approaches, and... Um, we are really in, in a pickle as far as God's people go. And that, uh, you know, really it does come down to this. Uh, it's, the more and more I look at this, the more I realize how we, uh, the majority of us, have just uh, denied the simplicity of Christ. And by doing so, we open our, ourselves up to all sorts of these deceptions and uh, being vulnerable to all sorts of uh, cults and 
pagan practices and just uh, uh, demonic influence. So, anyways, this article comes from uh, nowtheendbegins.com. I'm not endorsing this particular uh, site. And uh, I discovered it from someone I've... uh, through uh, Facebook, he posted it, and it was a great posting, and I listened to the video and uh, read the article, and I said, you know, we really should go back to doing this again, uh, at least uh, keep up to date as much as we can. This article is called, The Southern Baptist Churches Begin Embracing Roman Catholic Contemplative Spirituality. And it will be a long show, it'll probably, I don't know, at least two and a half hours. The video is almost two hours in itself. I think it's worth listening to. Hopefully, we don't have any uh, technical glitches. And um, let's check it out. This is uh, posted March the 12th of 2015. Um, so this is my research on one pastor who insisted that our God and Allah are one and the same made me curious as to what other errant teachings might also abound. Suddenly I realized that I was seeing only uh, the proverbial tip of the iceberg. <clears throat> yeah, and I know the feeling, my friend. I know the feeling. Acts 20, verse 30, KJV, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. It seems that the emergent church, which teaches contemplative spirituality slash mysticism, CSM, has uh, slithered its way into our Southern Baptist churches. And of course, they got more issues than that, but this is a big issue. The proper spirituality of Christian of the of Christian being solo scripta is being replaced by spiritual uh, mysticism, which can be traced back to the Roman Catholic Church. Former pastor Ken Silva of Appraising Ministries, um, which we've read several of his articles already on this show. Uh, Quote, leaving this aside, now the evangelical community is embarking upon a very dangerous spiritual game of Russian roulette, embracing highly subjective contemplative spirituality slash mysticism, CSM, such as that taught by living spiritual teacher and Quaker mystic Richard Foster, along with his spiritual twin in Southern Baptist Minister Dallas Willard. Sadly, this is yet another bad byproduct of its welcoming in the sinfully ecumenical non-liberal cult of the emergent church, a.k.a. the emerging church, of which that dubious duo were key members. And then it's got a picture uh, with the uh, Virgin Mary and all these candles with uh, uh, the Virgin Mary on it. And it says, Rick Warren 
has now jumped on the CSM bandwagon and in turn has given the green light to his pastor followers. Pastor followers. You might know that CSM is merely repackaged Roman Catholic mysticism and was core doctrine of the EC from its hatching in hell. In addition, it plays a, cru- a critical role as the neo-gnostic foundation of its new postmodern version of progressive Christian theology under their spiritual circus, in quotes, big tent, emergence Christianity. As spurious uh, CSM now spreads as leaven throughout the entire lump of the church visible, it becomes, it's, it's become the cause of a growing uh, synchronism and without a doubt one of the biggest synchronous within the evangelicalism is the religious uh, uh, I guess it's uh, uh, Shemelon purpose-driven Pope Rick Warren I'm trying to get used to their language here when pastors lose sight of their need to depend on and teach from the Word of God alone, they, their lofty and contrived ideas land them on a slippery slope, which eventually leads to total apostasy. Rick Warren of Saddleback Church in Purpose Driven Life slash Church Fame has been on a, the slippery slope for most of his time as a pastor. He is not grounded in God's word, and so he is vulnerable to being deceived and then deceiving others along the way. The people are loving what he's selling. He keeps packing them into his big top, and the circus keeps getting crazier. Rick Warren has called the Pope the Pope of all Christians. I am a Christian, and I will tell you right now that the Pope is not my Pope. And by the way, he's not even Christian, right? He is nothing to me in my walk with God. After Rick Warren PDL book came out and was on the New York Times bestseller list for many months, he automatically assumed that the success of his book was proof that God was blessing his ministry. And, of course, that's usually always is the opposite. It would be Satan that would be doing that. But, uh, then came the purpose-driven church. I found out that Warren was emailing his propaganda to Southern Baptist pastors across the world on a weekly basis. Discernment is one of the greatest gifts from the Lord, but in order to discern spirits, one must go to the only source that is reliable. That is God's holy word. When one has the word in their hearts and minds, 
from reading the Bible, then discernment becomes second nature. But still, we are admonished to compare what we hear and read against His holy word. God's word must reign supreme in our followers' hearts, minds, and spirits. Rick Warren has now jumped on the CSM bandwagon and in turn has given the green light to his pastor followers. Warren's love for the RCC has been spreading as well. The Southern Baptist Convention is, sorry to say, an ineffective corporate entity which does not get involved in Baptist churches who are shifting away from Baptist doctrine into the New Age CSM. And by the way, I just want to add my own comments. After you know, researching about Schofield and his future dispensationalism, and um, then we go to this Christian Zionism that has perverted the church, now it's now leading to the next natural progression. And of course, this is all leading back to drink. Uh, the ecumenical movement of the uh, Roman Catholic Church drawing it as daughter churches. And um, unfortunately, this is the process. And uh, we have not been taking it seriously, have we? So I spoke with one of the SBC leaders, and he confirmed this to me. I felt like I was speaking to a politician. Uh, and we will be listening to a, a video on YouTube called Contemplative Prayer Exposed and uh, an interesting uh, group of gentlemen mostly will be actually of all things uh, Pastor Mike Hogger and I uh, there's things about Mike that are a little strange but you know what I think at the end of the day, the man is trying to do the next best, trying to do the right thing. I think he's trying to, you know, teach the truth, the best of his understanding. He might be a little too interested in the occult. But then again, I think people need to be warned about it too. So one thing he did do is do a masterful job explaining contemplative prayer, uh, going through some of the history and all that kind of stuff. So it will be worth your time listening to this video. I um, I know you can watch the video. Uh, of course, this is audio, so it won't be happening that way. And I also think that there's a potential negative side to the video, and that is there's too much imagery, and you end up missing the complete message. So sometimes we have information overload um, with how many uh, sources are coming at us. So. I, I do think it's worth listening to. So, when I was saved in 1983, the couple who led me to Christ belonged to a charismatic church. When I left that church, it was far it it was far to drive. I sought out a church similar to my first church. What did I know? Question mark. I, I came from Judaism into the beginning of a Jewish Christian, I knew virtually nothing about denominations and such. And I can relate with that. And for a guy like myself, coming out from all 
the Mormon Church and the New Age thing in AA, and then it has been a heck of a ride. And uh, and uh, oh well, that's the way it is. We keep plugging along, don't we? I didn't know that the new charismatic church made me very uncomfortable. Excuse me, I do know that the new charismatic church made me very uncomfortable. People stood up on Sunday mornings and said, I have a word of knowledge, or this saith God. Really, I'm glad I haven't had to go through that experience. That sounds like a bunch of mad people. Yeah, great. Sometimes they would have uh, visions and speak in tongues with no interpreter. I read my Bible constantly, and some uh, thing was very wrong. I could feel it. And that's interesting, because I know I went through something very similar to that. Uh, was I tried it even again in desperation, I think it was last fall. And, uh, you know, and even going to other churches, like uh, I bounced around a little bit, and yeah, whether it was Seventh-day Adventist or Charismatic or whoever it may be, you know, denominational. But one of the things I did do is I brought my Bible with me and I opened it up and started reading it during the service and singing and all that kind of stuff. And what amazing defense the Word of God is. I might not be proficient in quoting the Scriptures. I might not have a full understanding of yet of the Scriptures. But I can tell you one thing. By keeping my eyes on the Word of God... And then, you know, you know, my ears and what was going on around me, amazing difference firsthand. And I strongly recommend anybody who's looking for a church to make sure you bring a Bible with you and open up the Word of God and don't get trapped into the emotional uh, mess that's out there. Um, you know, really go for it. Go, for the, go there for the right reasons. And that is to truly, first and foremost, to work on your personal relationship with your Lord and Savior. And don't let the group deceive you. And if it does happen, at least uh, you can, you know, the, you know what I mean. You, you have a way of busting out. So, anyways, and obviously you can tell I'm not a guy who grew up in the church, so I don't use a lot of the church lingo. I'm just a guy who's who's uh, found the Lord, so, and uh, I'm, all, I'm all right with being an outsider. Um, I, I, it's turning out to probably be some uh, a positive blessing right now. The Bible constantly and something, uh, so anyways, I, I read my Bible constantly and something was very wrong. I could feel it. Um, how did I know these words spoken from people or words from God? Uh, couldn't they be from the person? And in that case, why would I need to know these words? Uh, I wound, wound up in a SBC church. It felt safer there. Of course, that would be Southern Baptist Church, right? I believe that the Southern Baptist churches were biblically sound and trustworthy. Well, at least the one I was attending, I didn't have to worry about people standing up and grabbing the microphone 
and or microphone to impart something from God. I believe that everything I would want to know from the Lord was in the Bible. It's a good strategy. Second Timothy two verses uh, sixteen through seventeen KGV. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. No church on earth is perfect because they are all made up of people. But the Lord wants leadership to be looking to him in prayer and his word for teaching. Contemplative spirituality slash mysticism. What is contemplative uh, spiritual uh, contemplative spirituality? I took this uh, straight from GodQuestion.org. Question: What is it? once again contemplative spirituality? Answer: Contemplative spirituality is an extremely dangerous practice for any person who desires to live a biblical, God-centered life. It is most commonly associated with the emerging church movement, which is uh, riddled with false teachings. It is also used by many different groups that have little, if any, connection with Christianity. And then we've got a picture of Rick Warren, purpose-driven Pope Rick Warren, on EWTN, calling apostate Roman Catholic Pope Francis our Pope. Carrying on with the article, in practice, the contemplative spirituality is primarily centered on meditation, although not meditation with a biblical perspective. And I do know about this because I was in the New Age movement and in AA, and uh, my understanding of meditation was totally whacked out being involved in that. And uh, in the end, I'm discovered, you know, through the study of contemplative prayer and spiritual formation, that I was actually doing that and had no idea. I really thought I was doing something right. I had no idea that what I was inviting into my life. And um, my life started going really uh, became a mess. And um, it's one of the reasons why I'm sharing this with you folks, if anybody will listen to it. Also, I have people in my life that I care about very much who are involved in this stuff. And it's it's, uh, disappointing to know that and to know that uh, because of what I know, what I've gone through, what the ultimate outcome is going to be for them too because they're still in it. That being this whole mysticism thing that uh, leads you down a, a mad path of destruction and delusion. So I really hope that anybody who hears this will share this with others and will wake them up to people that they care about because this is this seemingly harmless practice is very, very, very harmful. And um, I've just seen so many lives being destroyed. And yeah, I've met people who have become filthy, willfully doing this stuff, but their soul is so corrupted that it's hard to even imagine. I mean, it's, 
uh, I do now know how, <laughs> as far as like the Nazi movement in Germany, how they were so successful in pro- propagating it. It was even beyond just the more the Roman Catholic Church and the Jesuits. But this whole mysticism, this spirituality thing, really does corrupt a man's soul and his mind and his ability to reason and think. And, uh, uh, you know, at this point, I, it's clear that even demon possession is a big part of it also. Anyways, passages such as Joshua 1, 8 exactly exhort us uh, to meditate. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to be everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful, end of quote. Notice what the focus of the meditation should be. The Word of God, contemplative spirituality-driven meditation, focuses on nothing, literally. A practitioner is exhorted to completely empty his or her mind to just be. And by the way, it's absolutely true, and I'm ashamed to admit I did practice this. had no idea what I was doing no idea and there was nobody there to protect me and warn me and only by the mercy of God am I here even today talking to you and have any kind of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they couldn't as I do but you know what it's an absolute miracle of God that this is that I'm here even talking um, uh, supposedly this helps one to open up to a greater spiritual experience however we are exhorted in, in Scripture to transfer our minds to that of Christ, to have his mind. Emptying our minds is contrary to such active conscious transformation. Contemplative spirituality also emerges, uh, or excuse me, encourages the pursuit of a mystical experience with God. Mysticism is the belief that knowledge of God's spiritual truth and ultimate reality can be gained through subjective experience. This emphasis on experiential knowledge erodes the authority of the scripture. We know God according to his word. All scripture is God breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that a man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Second Timothy three, sixteen through seventeen. God's word is complete. There is no reason to believe that God adds additional teachings or truth to his word through mystical experiences. Instead, our faith in what we know about God is based on fact. (coughs) The website for the Center of Contemplative Spirituality sums it up well. We come from a variety of secular and religious backgrounds, and we each seek to enrich our journey through spiritual practice and study of the world's greatest spiritual traditions. We desire to draw closer to the loving spirit which pervades all creation, that's something for the pantheism right there, which inspires our compassion for all 
beings. Once again, pantheism looks like. There is absolutely nothing biblical about such goals. Studying the world's spiritual traditions is an exercise in futility because any spiritual tradition other than that which exalts Christ is falsehood. Amen to that. Only way to draw closer to God is through the path he has ordained, Jesus Christ and the Word. In my research of the Baptist pastor who believes that God and Allah are the same, I noticed that he was also bringing Catholic practices into his church. He has been talking to his congregation about Lent, really. He has also um, he is also all about ecumenicalism and seems very willing to unite for unity's sake, even seeing that choice deluding the message of Jesus Christ and blurring the lines between the RCC and, and evangelical Christians and in his case even Islam. I believe this is his intent for my way of life ministries. Everywhere we look, evangelicals are turning to Roman Catholic styles of contemplative spirituality, which many cases were borrowed from pagan sources, such as ritualistic rock prayers, rote prayers, excuse me, chantings, meditation, centering prayer, and the use of prayer beads, stations of the cross, uh, Lectio Divina, labyrinths, and at daily offices. And yet, it's everywhere, people. It's, I can't believe how many churches, even my own neck of the woods, have all that stuff. are supposed to be anything other than Roman Catholic, so... Or New Age. <clears throat> the cover story for the February 2008 issue of Christianity Today was The Future Lies in the Past. Here we go again, Christianity Today. Man, that sounds like that magazine is a really apostate magazine. But And it describes the lost secrets of the ancient church. Oh, there we go. The ancient church. Group Think 101. Yep. Yep, I'm holding on to Christ and Christ alone. I think that's a very safe bet for any man and woman. Christ and Christ alone. His word and his word alone. And uh, even if it means you have to walk it uh, without the group, at least you're in good company, right? Okay, the lost secrets of the ancient church that are being rediscovered by evangelicals. The ancient church in question happens to be the Roman Catholic, beginning with the so-called father, church fathers of the early centuries. The article observes that many young evangelicals dislike both traditional Christianity and the seeker-sensitive churches, uh, traditional Christianity is described as too focused on being right 
too much into Bible studies and uh, apologistic materials. Instead, the young evangelicals are lusting after, quote, a renewed encounter with a God that goes beyond, quote, doctrinal definitions, end quote. This, of course, is a perfect definition of mysticism. It refers to experiencing God beyond the boundaries of Scripture. Christianity Today recommends that evangelicals, quote, stop debating and just, quote, embody Christianity. Towards this end, they should, quote, embrace symbols and sacraments and dialogue with, quote, Catholic Catholicism and orthodoxy. They should, quote, break out the candles and incense and pray to, quote, electo, lectio divina and learn the, quote, Catholic ascetic disciplines from the, quote, practicing monks and nuns. What a mess. I had no idea. No idea how what a mess it is out there. Christianity Today says that this search for historic roots will lead to a deepening ecumenical conversation and a recognition by evangelicals that the Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox are fellow Christians with much to teach us. Oh my goodness. This is not Holds Bar invitation to Catholic and mysticism. It will not lead to light, but the same darkness that characterizes Rome throughout its history, and it will lead beyond Rome to the paganism which, from which Rome originally borrowed its contemplative practices. And could this also be a fine example, once again, of the mark of the beast? Oh, leading up to it. Um, I am not surprised at all by Christianity Today's remarks. It seems that they have been apostate outfit for a very long time. I used to watch Dr. Ed Young on TV when the kids were small. I loved him. It grieves me to, to tell you that he was bought, to tell you that he has bought the emerging church practices, lock, stock, and barrel. Satan is tricking, excuse me, Satan is, uh, tricking these formerly sound teachers of God's word. Brethren, this is just more proof that we must be in the end of the end times. Um, who would have ever thought that the Southern Baptist Church would be joyfully receiving these mystical New Age practices into their sanctuaries? Who would have ever thought that the evangelical churches would be cozying up to the Roman Catholic Church. And that's the end of that article. So, anyways, um, this video that I'm going to play the audio for, hopefully somebody will listen to, it is definitely worth your time. Um, once again, and it's also, um, this is the Emerging Church Exposed. Um, and 
this is just the scratch, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg as far as understanding um, contemplative prayer, spiritual formation that is now running rampant and all the, uh, not only, of course, has always been in the Roman Catholic Church, but now her daughter churches and all these cults that have come out of Rome. And it doesn't matter what day, uh, you know, whether they <laughs> they keep the Sabbath or something else, as, or a Sunday, uh, it could be, uh, it doesn't matter at this point. I mean, they're all doing it. Um, what the heck? Anyways. We will get this started. Uh, hopefully there will, once again, there won't be any technical difficulties. Um... I'm sorry for all the sniffling and all that. It's, it's not one thing; it's another right now. So, and I hate to sound so negative about it, but it's getting being sick is getting getting old. So, anyways, uh, here we go. Contemplative prayer exposed. Check it out. Maharishi Yogi uh, basically evangelized the West, uh, came over here, went on veritable tours and lectured with the Beach Boys, was promoted by uh, the Beatles, and led masses of young people into transcendental meditation. A lot of these people that were practicing it began to have horrifying experiences, demonic attacks, things of that nature, and uh, this was documented, and it was able to slither into the to the schools, the public schools to a degree. And then books came out on how this is a very religious practice. And, and Maharishi Mesh Yogi, his own admissions from his own books were that these mantras they were uttering as they were meditating were the names of Hindu gods. Well, the Bible says that these, the gods of these nations are demons, again. So uh, people were invoking spirits under the banner of what was, you know, built to be something scientific. And Maharishi Mesh Yogi says, and through transcendental meditation, you're not just calling out on one spirit, you're calling out to the head of all these different spirits. You can get all the power from them at once, uh, which we would understand as the prince of demons or Satan, you know. Uh, with Tantric Yoga, you're talking about yoga, which is sexually perverted and mixes spirituality, kind of like Aleister Crowley's sex magic. He practiced uh, Tantric Yoga. And what you try to do is practice a form of yoga where you're loosing the serpent force, the kundalini force within your body and in your consciousness. And it, it, it's all quite crazy when you think about it. Even Reiki, you know, these doctors practices Reiki. And it's an occult form of laying on of the hands. And different Reiki literature talks about spiritual forces, transference of spirits, things of that nature, through the practice of Reiki. So what in the world is Rick Warren, who's supposed to be a shepherd of his church, doing but opening the church up to all kinds of occult forces? And I've seen videotape of Rick Warren talking with these doctors about meditation. 
It's very simple. I mean, there's a meditation exercise from Harvard. Mm-hmm. Not religious at all. Yeah. It's called the relaxation response. Yeah, Take a big breath. Yeah. Right? Blow it out. Yeah. Every time you breathe out, say the word one. Yeah. Do it for 10 minutes. You've got all these thoughts coming in your head. Imagine a big broom. So we'll leave them away. Yeah. And if you can just take some time and pray or meditate, mm-hmm. it decreases stress. Your brain is better. Make better decisions. The emergent view of you know, mysticism and experience and trying to experience God through mysticism is so tragic because what happens is uh, in mysticism, and this is, I mean, almost every ancient culture that has written somewhat extensively, you read in their writings about demonization. Uh, anthropologists talk about the great majority of cultures recognize that demons are real. They're, they're real entities. And the Bible tells us to guard against them, but you have men like Dan Kimball, whose book I mentioned uh, Rick Warren had endorsed. He said the old paradigm is that if you have right teaching, then you will be able to experience God. But he says the new paradigm is that if you experience God, then you can have right teaching. And the problem with that is, before I was a Christian, I opened occult doors. Uh, before I was 18 and converted to Jesus Christ and found uh, him as my Lord and Savior, uh, I was opening myself up to New Age philosophy and what have you, and I opened myself up to dark things. And if I would have followed Kimball's advice, I would think, wow, you know what? Now I need to follow the teachings these things are encouraging me in, you know? And I'd be lost. But thankfully, the Bible lets us know that we're to test experiences. Paul says, prove all things and hold fast or hold tight to that which is good in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Apostle John said, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is, has come in the flesh, he says, is the spirit of Antichrist. So it's very important that Christians realize there's mass deception going on out there, and the emerging leaders, the emerging church leaders, are actually opening their followers up to these demonic hosts, whether knowingly or unknowingly. You also have emergent leaders like Rob Bell leading their church, not only to guys like Ken Wilber, who are teaching occultism and demonization and satanic views. Uh, You have Rob Bell also leading youth, leading many, many Christians into mystical practices, into different forms of mysticism and, and different forms of contemplative prayer, or different forms of Eastern meditation. For instance, he leads, you know, his, his audience and says, you know, put one hand on your belly, take a deep breath and breathe slowly, and then he simulates it. And he's leading them, you know, into Eastern mysticism. And then he tells them that the breath that's coming in and out is actually God. Take one hand, place it upon your belly. Take one hand, place it upon your chest. Let's breathe for a moment, shall we? Nice, big, deep breaths. Central to the Christian tradition for thousands of years have been disciplines of meditation, reflection, silence, and breathing. Now, from way back when, our ancestors understood that there's something divine about our breath. Take a moment as you breathe deeply to invite the God who made the universe into your breath. I wonder sometimes when we feel as though God is far. God is thinking, I gave you breathing. I can't get closer. Is God as close as breathing. Many of the 
emerging leaders will have their followers will encourage them to say words over and over and over again in the prayer life. Contradicting what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said not to be like the pagans, we say the same things over and over again, thinking that they'll be heard of God. Not be repetitious, Jesus said, in your prayer life. And so it's incredibly heartbreaking that you have them taking a word or two words. I say, oh, well, you know, a lot of times the Bible, you know, it's a couple words from the Bible. But it's disassociated from its context. Many things in the Bible is, what is God saying to me? What's your will, Father? How do I please you and glorify you? And you begin to pray and talk to him about his word. Real biblical meditation will give me strength to obey you and, and obey your word. And it's a joyous encounter with God when you truly seek the Lord through his word. But when you take a word or two, you start repeating it because you feel like you're going to get some kind of spiritual effect. You're doing exactly what Jesus said not to do, and you're opening yourself up to these other forces. The talk we had earlier this morning was to kind of lay the groundwork for this. The whole foundation of society is being restructured along mystical lines. But I believe that all this is being done as uh, a preclude to something much more significant, much more uh, gigantic in nature. Contemplative prayer is the same as New Age type meditation. This is from a book called The Inward Journey. It says, to help the mind become quiet, we can follow our breathing, or we can repeat silently a chosen prayer phrase or word. Now, this is, this is what the appeal of contemplative prayer is, is that if you're just a normal Christian in your five senses, you're not really going to get God's uh, full attention or his full presence. So when you go into the silence, then you'll be better able to hear God uh, guiding and directing you. And that's the, the big pull of this movement is, you know, you're going to get more of God, you're going to get the full measure of God, and your Christian life is going to be greatly invigorated. This was first uh, practiced by the Desert Fathers, a group of monks in uh, the deserts of North Africa and in the Middle East. And this is from a book called Finding God by Father Ken Cache. He said it was a time of great experimentation with spiritual methods. Now, did you all get that? Experimentation with spiritual methods. They were experimenting. You know, they didn't get this from the scriptures. This wasn't passed down from the apostles. They experimented. And it says many different kinds of disciplines were tried, some of which are too harsh or extreme for people today. Now, I'd, I'd like to know what those were. <laughs> Many different methods of prayer were created and explored by them. Now, did you get that created? This is, this is the basis of why I think I can legitimately uh, crusade against contemplative prayer because it's not something in the Bible that people may or may not have a grasp of. It's something that was created by people outside of biblical context. And many of the promoters of contemplative prayer will say, you know, this was first done by the Desert Fathers. This is Thomas Merton. He would be considered probably the main icon of the contemplative prayer movement. Uh, he said that Christianity could not fulfill its mission to save the world without contemplative prayer. But the thing is, did he come out with something that could save people's souls? Did he come out with a worldview that was conducive to the gospel? Well, let's look. Okay, he said, it is a glorious destiny to be a member of the human race. Now I realize what we all are. Well, what are we? Okay. If only they, people, could see themselves as they really are, I suppose the big problem would be that we would fall down and worship each other. 
Well, why? Well, why would we want to worship each other? Because at the center of our being is a point of nothingness, which is untouched by sin and by illusions. That nothingness means, you know, altered states of consciousness. In other words, the thoughtless state. A point of pure truth. This little point is the pure glory of God in us. It is in everybody. See, what he has just described, what Thomas Merton has just described, is what the New Age calls the higher self. That within every human being, or everything that exists for that matter, there is this essence, which is the pure glory of God. And he says it's in everybody. And when he says everybody, he means everybody. This is a book called Thomas or Merton and Sufism. The Sufis are the mystics of the Muslim religion. And that man there, you see, uh, he looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi or somebody. <laughs> that is Sheikh Ahmad El Alawe. And, and Sheikh Ahmad was a great Sufi, Sufi mystic. Well, Thomas Merton uh, had contact with him, and this is what he said about Sheikh Ahmad. He says he was one of the greatest religious figures of this century. Well, then he says, and this is uh, the point I'm getting at, he says, he was so perfectly right in his spirituality, certainly a great saint and a man full of the Holy Spirit. With Sheikh Ahmad, I speak the same language. So contemplative prayer aligned uh, Thomas Merton with, uh, with Sufism to the degree that Thomas Merton said that he was deeply impregnated with Sufism. Next person is Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest, and many of his books have become very influential in the evangelical world. This one, The Way of the Heart, was being used as a study guide at a Young Life meeting. And this is contemplative prayer here. The quiet repetition the single word can help us descend with the mind into the heart. In other words, you know, you're repeating this word. When the mind kind of shuts down, you kind of go into your center. He says, this simple way of prayer opens us to God's active presence. This book is what you might call a uh, primer on contemplative prayer, the way of the heart, connecting with God through prayer, wisdom, and silence. So again, did contemplative prayer take Henry Nouwen in the realm of uh, true Christianity? Did he uh, embrace the preaching of the cross to uh, a high degree? Well, no. He said in his, um, his book, Sabbatical Journey, this is his diary, he said, Today I personally believe that while Jesus came to open the door to God's house, all human beings can walk through that door whether they know about Jesus or not. Today I see it as my call to help every person claim his or her own way to God. So in other words, there was no wrong way to God. Okay, this is Richard Foster. Foster says, we should all without shame enroll in the school of contemplative prayer. When he says all, he means all. Okay, this is Brennan Manning, a major promoter of contemplative prayer. Grabbing a hold of God is the goal of contemplative prayer. That is why the first step in faith is to stop thinking about God at the time of prayer. See, I knew you'd, I knew you'd laugh. Everybody does. Everybody that goes into these trances finds out that they're one with everything. It's called panentheism. Okay, a good example of that is Su Mung Kid. Now, Su Mung Kid, this is, this is a very important part of the talk. This is probably one of the most important uh, elements here. Su Mung Kid was a Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher in a small town in South Carolina. Well, now, folks, you don't get any more conservative than that. She started doing contemplative prayer. Somebody handed her a book by Thomas Merton in her Sunday school class. 
and she started doing it. So um, this is her latest book called First Light. She says, God became the steam of my soup, the uprooted tree, the graffiti on the building, the rust on the fence. Now, what would make a person believe that God is the rust on the fence? Okay, we'll, we'll see. She became a new ager. This is her third book, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter. And in it, she uh, talks about how she made the transition into goddess consciousness. Yeah, this explains why God is the steam in her soup and the rust on the fence and the uprooted tree. This is Wicca. She, basically, she became a Wiccan. We also need goddess consciousness to reveal earth's holiness. Matter becomes inspirited. Goddess offers us the holiness of everything. My ultimate authority is the divine voice in my own soul, period. So she believes God is the rust on the fence because of her divine voice in her own soul. Okay, this is a book called Reimagining Christianity by Alan Jones. Okay, that's the cross. That's a dashboard right there. That's a Buddha. Yeah, that, uh, that's a Buddha there. So we have the cross and we have the Buddha. There's a reason for that picture. Because Alan Jones says, the life of contemplative prayer, loved and in communion with all things. There we have that you're connected to everything that exists. The soul is born in and out of the secret silence of God. This silence at the heart of mysticism is not only the meeting point of the great traditions, that's the world's religions, but also where all hearts might meet. So in other words, contemplative prayer is mysticism or meditation or the, as he calls it, the secret silence of God, is not just where all the great world religions can meet, but where everybody can meet, whether you're an atheist or no matter what you are, you know, all of humanity can be united at the mystical level, truly a one-world religion. On the back cover, Brian McLaren says, okay, are you ready for this? Are you ready? It used to be that Christian institutions and systems of dogma sustained the spiritual life of Christians. Okay, systems of dogma, that's doctrine. But see, it's no longer that way. It just used to be that way. Increasingly, spirituality itself is what sustains everything else. By spirituality, he means contemplative prayer. Alan Jones is a pioneer in reimagining a Christian faith that emerges from authentic spirituality. His work stimulates and encourages me deeply. So the idea that all the world's religions and all of humanity can unite in this mystical silence uh, stimulates and encourages him deeply. And by authentic spirituality, he means, you know, meditation. Okay, this is Tony Jones. He wrote a book called Sacred Ways. Um, and he says, the basic method promoted in the cloud, that's the cloud of unknowing, which is a contemplative treatise, is to move beyond thinking. If you want God, you have to move beyond thinking. See, to us, uh, praying is deeply thinking about God. You know, it's when you really, really think about God, when you really throw all your heart and all your mind into your relationship with God. But with this, it's, you have to move beyond thinking into a place of utter stillness with the Lord. The believer must first achieve a state of silence and contemplation. And then God works in the believer's heart. America's pastor, okay, in uh, The Purpose Driven Life, you can see the uh, affiliation that uh, 
Rick Warren has. He says, the Bible tells us to pray all the time. One way is to use breath prayers throughout the day. You choose a brief sentence or a simple phrase that can be repeated to Jesus in one breath, prayed as often as possible. Well, how often is that? You could do it literally hundreds of times a day. You know, say the same thing over and over again. And he uses an example of Brother Lawrence as someone who practiced the presence of God, i.e. using breath prayers. Well, Brother Lawrence was a monk of the, what was he? He was a Carmelite monk in the 1600s in Paris. And he was of the same lineage as St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross. He was separated by about 100 years or so. And this is from a man who knew him. This guy was a Catholic official in Paris. He knew Brother Lawrence. He said, it is said of Brother Lawrence that when something had taken his mind away from love's presence, he would receive a reminder from God that so moved his soul, he cried out singing and dancing violently like a madman. You will note that the reminders came from God and was not his own, were not his own doing. In other words, he was saying whenever Brother Lawrence stopped thinking about God, God would kind of jerk him back and make him sing and dance violently like a madman. Well, is, this, is that really the presence of God? Now, David danced. There's nothing wrong with, with dancing and singing if you're happy, right? You know, uh, some Christians may think that's not good. But, <laughs> but I think, you know, if you're happy and joyful, you know, you can do a little dance and, you know, kind of sing, you know. If that's, that's, that's okay. But it said he did it violently like a madman. Well, I don't think the, word, the key word there is violently. Well, I don't think God would make you act violently, would he? If, if you're acting violently, then something is wrong, right? You know, I don't think that Brother Lawrence had the presence of God if he would sing and, and dance violently like a madman. Brother Lawrence did not get the actual presence of God. He got the presence of a familiar spirit. Hey, this is uh, Gary Thomas. How many of you uh, go to Christian bookstores quite often? Okay, how many of you have seen the books like Sacred, uh, Sacred Parenting and Sacred uh, Marriage and books like that? Well, anyhow... Uh, that's Gary Thomas. Uh, he wrote a book called Sacred Pathways, and in it uh, he talks about centering prayer. He says, in general, however, and, and this, is, this, is, uh, this is what the emerging church is, is using as a way to get in touch with God. He says, in general, however, centering prayer works like this, and contemplative prayer and centering prayer are the same thing. Choose a word, Jesus or Father, for example, as a focus for contemplative prayer, Repeat the word silently in your mind for a set amount of time, say 20 minutes. You know, 20 minutes. Until you, your heart seems to be repeating the word by itself, just as naturally and voluntarily as breathing. Well, 20 minutes, you know, can you imagine saying, Father, you know, Father, 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 Father. I mean, I just said it for what, uh, five seconds? <laughs> can you imagine saying that for 20 minutes? See, if you did that and you focused on it, you know, you would go into altered states of consciousness. Uh, Gary Thomas got this from uh, Basil Pennington, who talks about uh, that the wisdom of these should be captured uh, for Christ. Because in that book, he mentions Basil Pennington quite a number of times, five on one page in Sacred Pathways. So there is a connection there. But Rick Warren says, Gary has spoken at Saddleback, and I think highly of his work. He tells them, readers, how they can make the most of their spiritual journeys. He places an emphasis on practical spiritual exercises. 
And I believe this is why Rick Warren has wrote the forward to the emerging church and has a favorable view of much of the emerging church because it's mystical. Uh, there was a guy named Carl Ranner who was uh, one of the people be, that uh, was behind uh, the Vatican II um, thing there in the 1960s, and he wrote that the Christian of the future will be a mystic, or he or she will be nothing at all. Carl Ranner, uh, he was, like I said, he was considered the brains behind Vatican II, and that appears to be happening, that what we're seeing here, the emerging church and you know, Rick Warren's uh, view of spirituality, that the Christian of the future will be a mystic. And that's, we're in the process of transitioning to that right now. Contemplative prayer is an esoteric tradition. Like I said in, earlier, that this is not something you find in the Bible. It was something that was only found in like convents and monasteries and was only brought um, out of uh, the convents and monasteries by Thomas Merton. He was the one responsible. Okay, true prayer is a personal relationship with God. Amen? It's a personal relationship with God based on being in your five senses. You know, praying in your five senses. It's, Christianity was not designed as a mystical religion. It was designed for everyone. It was designed for the common folk. You know, this idea of... Um, only the super spiritual, you know, can reach God through contemplative prayer is, is not a biblical concept. The Apostle Paul said, and this is an important one, folks, this is very important. The Apostle Paul said, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. In other words, whatever God wanted us to know, he gave us in the Bible, the whole counsel of God. And there's nothing in Paul's epistles about contemplative prayer. There's nothing in Paul's epistles about repeating a sacred word over and over again for 20 minutes, right? Absolutely nothing. I mean zero. Zilch. Nada. Okay? And Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Okay, now the, here, here's the part that uh, many of you probably resonate with. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some, shall, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, I believe that all these people that are getting in touch with what they believe to be God are actually getting in touch with deceiving spirits. And the word in the King James is uh, seducing spirits, seducing spirits, which has an even more sinister connotation because, you know, if you're seduced, it means you're, you're getting an imposter. Somebody who seduces people uh, does so by presenting themselves as something they're not. And doctrines of demons. I believe that God being the rust on the fence is a doctrine of demons. Amen? Yeah, I believe that uh, if we all knew who we really were, we'd fall down and worship each other as a doctrine of demons. Pastor Mike Hoggard, pastor of Bethel Church in Festus, Missouri, and head of prophetic research ministry with a very special edition of the Watchman video broadcast. We're going to be talking about something that a few years ago I had never heard of. In fact, probably you might be watching this video and have never heard of this, 
But I can say, and by the time we get done with this video presentation, I hope that you'll see what I'm talking about. I can say that this is probably one of the most dangerous, deadly things that is moving into the church right now. And I'm talking about what used to be good, decent, Bible-believing, fundamental churches. This is the most dangerous thing that is moving in right now. It is the issue of what is called contemplative prayer. Now, as we go through this video presentation, I'll explain more about what that is and sort of describe it in detail. Your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be absolutely amazed at what is going on inside what used to be fundamental Bible-believing churches all across this world, but especially right here in the United States of America. You know, I talk about all the time, I talk about how I believe in conspiracies. I believe in conspiracy theories. I believe in things that are related, conspiracies that are related to what's in the Bible. I believe the Bible is going to explain all of these little ideas and notions that are going on behind the scenes that nobody should know anything about, and yet the Bible is going to reveal them. And several places come to mind. But I want you to notice this first verse here, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, I want you to notice that this verse is not telling us that when they depart from the faith that they're just going to become atheist, agnostic, or not care about God at all. They're going to depart from the faith, and they're going to give heed. They're going to change from what they used to believe in, which was the Bible. They're going to change over to what is being told them by seducing spirits. Spirits that seduce people, and doctrines of devils. And I'm going to explain this verse as sort of the key to what we're going to uncover in this video presentation. But I want us to go back to the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, and I want you to see a warning that God gave to the Israelites. I believe that warning still applies to us today who call ourselves Christians, who pastor churches, who are part of denominations, who are part of the effort to preach the gospel. I believe that warning still applies to us. It's a warning about separation, letting us know that the people that are out there are not like the people that are God's people. They should be separate. And he's warning us about them and about their ways, lest we become like them. And I want you to notice what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 16. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. And he said, I will hide my face from them, and I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very throward generation, children in whom is no faith. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Now notice what God is warning the Israelites, that if they become, if they become like the strangers in the land that they met, if they become like the wicked generation that God told them not to be, God said, I'm going to provoke you to anger with a people that is not a nation. Now, historically, historically, we can see the idea that Israel, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was provoked to jealousy and is being provoked to jealousy right now by God saving the Gentile nations. That's you and I, folks. 
And so we are the ones who are going to be the agents of provocation to provoke Israel to jealousy because God said, I'm done with you, and I'm going to move in the Gentile people for a time being. Now notice what he says in verse 32 of the same chapter. Look at what God said. For their vine is the vine of Sodom. Now I want to stop right here. Remember what Jesus told us. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. So Jesus is describing the relationship that exists between Christ and his church, in that, number one, he is the husband, and we are the... We are the bride. He is the vine, and we are the branches. So God is telling the Israelites, here's what's going to happen now. You're going to follow all these wicked people, and you're going to follow, listen to this, you're going to follow their practices. And what's going to happen is, I'm not going to be your vine anymore. Sodom is going to be your vine. For their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. They're grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine, look at the word here, their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. That's a snake. Later on in in this presentation, we're going to look at this wine issue. We're going to look at contrasts in the Bible. Good wine, new wine, which is the Holy Spirit, which doesn't make you drunk and old wine, which does make you drunk. And we're not just talking about, you know, something you drink. We're talking about spiritual wine. And notice what he said. He said, their wine is the poison of dragons, the cruel venom of ass. So I want you to get this. Dragons and snakes. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about that old dragon, the serpent, the devil, Lucifer himself, being the vine that I believe churches are moving into right now and it's all being done through the idea of contemplative prayer uh not too long ago a publication from the free will baptist came out called one magazine they featured an article by stan toller who is one of the leaders in the nazarene movement now i will tell you that among christian denominations in this country the nazarenes seem to be taking a charge now, i'm not against good nazarene people and there are some wonderful people out there that are fighting this in their denomination but the denomination itself by and large has been taken over by this move of what they call spiritual formation or contemplative prayer in fact stan toller who was one of the leaders of the nazarene denomination wrote in this free will baptist article he introduced the idea of spiritual formation ministries now spiritual formation and we're going to look at some terms that go along with contemplative prayer in case you've never heard of contemplative prayer there might be another term that you've heard that you've seen advertised that a pastor talked about at a church you went to that all of a sudden now it's going to make sense you're going to realize hopefully the danger that we are in spiritual formation is one of those ideas that is linked with contemplative prayer because when they start talking about spiritual formation, they're talking about a program to get contemplative prayer into the church, into the youth group, into the ministry, into the Bible college, into the Bible camp that kids go to. 
that's what spiritual formation. So here it is, one of these leaders among the contemplative prayer movement that every year the, the Nazarene denomination, along with their annual yearly meeting that they have, this big meeting of all the churches getting together, they also have on the sideline a spiritual formation retreat. And the links of this retreat to New Age practices is, is absolutely mind-boggling. So when I see this phrase, this concept, spiritual formation, being introduced probably for the very first time in the minds of pastors and church members across the country, I realize that it won't be too long before the idea of contemplative prayer is introduced. Now, somebody, we're going to start defining contemplative prayer. We're going to kind of look at what it is and how it came about. We're going to see the roots of contemplative prayer, and we're going to discern and understand where it's leading to, and we're all going to do that. Look at this first slide here. In the 1970s, three mystic Roman Catholic monks, Father William Menninger, Father Basil Pennington, and Abbot Thomas Keating, who was a head monk, labeled centering prayer as, quote, a method of prayer which prepares us to receive the gift of God's presence, traditionally called contemplative prayer. It is, quote, the opening of the mind and heart, our whole being to God, whom we know by faith is within us. Contemplative prayer is a prayer of silence, an experience of God's presence. This method of prayer is a movement beyond conversation with Christ to communion with him. The source of centering prayer, as in all methods leading to contemplative prayer, is the indwelling trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is also inspired by writings of major contributors to the Christian contemplative heritage, including John Cassian, the anonymous author of The Cloud of Unknowing, Francis de Sales, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Teresa of Lisieux, and Thomas Merton. Now, if you've never heard of any of these names, it's probably because you're not Roman Catholic. Most, in fact, we're going to see this later on, most of the ideas and concepts concerning spiritual formation, centering prayer, contemplative prayer, and all of this, they all came from one source. And we're going to see that source as we move through this thing. But here we're just laying a foundation of what they say contemplative prayer is. Now, I hope you've caught this already. The biblical concept of prayer is asking. When we pray to God, we ask God for things. Paul talks about uh, offering prayers and supplications, giving our requests to God. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. When we pray to God, we're supposed to ask God for things. That's, what, that's how the Bible defines prayer. But they're going to take it another step. They're going to say that this form of prayer is not about saying anything to God. It's about getting into a place in our mind, and I'm going to show you this, what this is, getting into a place in our mind where we now can hear from God. So here's what I want to warn you about. When you start hearing pastors or seminar givers or reading Christian books that, that talk, they, they want to identify prayer as, you know, prayer is not just us talking to God. It's, being, it's God being allowed to talk back to us. I think that they're setting you up to practice contemplative prayer. And I'm going to show you from the Bible that there is one true source that you know for a fact that you're hearing from God. And we're going to see that verse here in just a little bit. Here is contemplative prayer defined. It is particularly difficult to describe this type of prayer in writing. 
as it is best taught in person. In general, however, centering prayer works like this. Choose a word such as Jesus or Father, for example, as a focus for contemplative prayer. Repeat the word silently in your mind for a set amount of time, say 20 minutes, until your heart seems to be repeating the word by itself just as naturally and involuntarily as breathing. Now, several verses come to my mind when I read this. Number one, the fact that he is describing what, uh, what contemplative prayer is, and he can't describe it in words, which basically means that what he's going to give you does not come from the word of God. Remember the disciples, they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, you don't see anywhere in the Bible where Jesus said, okay, now sit down, go into a quiet room, empty your mind of everything, and repeat something. In fact, Jesus told us the contrary. He said, when you pray, do not use, listen to this, vain repetitions as the heathen do. He, Christ, our Lord, our chief apostle, specifically told us not to use vain repetitions. And yet now here is a what is becoming one of the most commonly accepted pagan heathen practices in the Christian church today, and it is in direct violation with the word of God in that the only way to do this is to take a word and repeat it over and over and over again. That's the only way to do it. And so already we're finding out and discovering the unbiblical roots of contemplative prayer. Christian contemplative prayer is the opening of mind and heart, our whole being to God, the ultimate mystery. Now I want you to look at that phrase, the ultimate mystery, because we're going to focus on that here in a little bit. Beyond thoughts, words, and emotions, whom we know by faith is within us, closer than breathing, thinking, feeling, and choosing, even closer than consciousness itself. The root of all prayer is interior silence. Though we think of prayer as thoughts or feelings expressed in words, this is only one expression. Contemplative prayer is a prayer of silence, an experience of God's presence as the ground in which our being is rooted, the source from whom our life emerges at every moment. Now here again, I hope you understand what's being taught here. We're not being taught scriptural methods of prayer. We're being taught something that is outside of the scripture. Now, Earlier we mentioned all of these uh, Catholic guys like this father and this abbot and these nuns and how they all practiced it. And you have to understand their mind frame and their concept. They were taught in their seminaries and that they, taught, they teach in their churches that Christian truth doesn't just come from the Bible. It comes from whatever the Pope says. It comes from whatever church tradition says. And so this is how they get around this. To those who call themselves Bible-believing Christians, the Bible is the only source for our faith and our practice, including the practice of prayer. And so if I want to know how to pray, I go to the Scripture, and I can tell you that nowhere in the Scripture does it tell us to get into a quiet place, uh, close, open our mind. I'm going to show you that in a minute. Open our mind, empty out all of our thoughts, become this total void of nothing, where we think absolutely nothing, get into this interior silence, and all of a sudden we're going to hear God whispering on the inside of us. If it sounds scary to you, I'm telling you, it is. And we're going to see the exact source of this coming up in just a little bit. 
I mentioned earlier that you, although you may not have heard of contemplative prayer, here are some of the terms being used now. Look for this in literature. Look for it in Sunday school literature. Look for it in VBS literature. And I'm going to show you an example of that. Look for it in uh, books. Look for it in seminars or teachings or sermons. Listen to what's being taught out there. And this is from Lighthouse Trails Research. They have an excellent source on all this. You can go to their website. Things such as labyrinths, which is like walking mazes, enneagrams, prayer stations, breath prayers. Remember that phrase. Jesus candles, the Jesus prayer, Lectio Divina, Ks, palms up, palms down, yoga. We're going to talk about that. The silence, sacred space, ancient prayer practices, a thin place, divine mystery, spiritual direction, Ignatian contemplation, remember that name, contemplative, centering, centering prayer, prayer of the heart, dark night of the soul, practicing the present, divine center, inner light, mantra, awareness of being, slow prayer, being in the present moment, beyond word, spiritual disciplines, spiritual formation. We're t these are some of the phrases that I want you to listen to. Pay make a list. Go to their website and get this list and just keep it by you. And I promise you, most of the ministries that are out there now, current uh, radio ministries, TV ministries, big-name churches, denominational leadership seminars, leadership training seminars, Sunday school literature, they're going to start slipping in, just like was in one magazine, they're going to start slipping in these concepts that are going to lead people, hopefully in their eyes, to what contemplative prayer really is. Now, I will tell you that contemplative prayer is not exclusive to their version of Christianity. It is in the New Age movement. In fact, in the New Age movement, you will see contemplative prayer defined as uh, the purpose of it is to enter into an altered state of consciousness in order to find one's true self, thus finding God. This true self relates to the belief that man is basically good. Proponents of contemplative prayer teach that all human beings have a divine center and that all, not just born-again believers, should practice contemplative prayer. And one of the things that we see about contemplative prayer is that it, it is universal in its, in its existence. In other words, not just Christians can practice contemplative prayer and not just born-again Christians can have God in them. All of a sudden now, some things that we've been seeing in this world are starting to make sense. How is it that some of these grand old church leaders that we call church leaders, all of a sudden now are coming out and saying, well, you know, it's possible that God could be in Muslims or that God could be in Jews or that God could be in Buddhists. It's possible that there are many roads to God. How is it that they all of a sudden started espousing that belief and believing that? That's because the true secret behind, the true mystery behind contemplative prayer reveals that all roads do lead to the same God. It's just not the God who is God of heaven, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose son is Jesus Christ. It is the God of this world. And that's how can we see this universalism now exploding in Christianity that maybe everybody can be saved. Maybe everybody has the divine light inside of them. And contemplative prayer just brings this out. You know, uh, when I was in Bible college, I heard a lot about what's called Gnosticism. And they say Gnosticism believes that there is a divine spark inside of every man. And through the right practices, this spark 
can be brought to full-blown godhood. That is the very nature of contemplative prayer. Centering prayer familiarizes us with God's first language, which is silence. Now, this is what's being taught amongst those who believe in contemplative prayer, that contemplative prayer basically is this prayer of silence and that God actually speaks in silence. That is totally contrary to the very nature of biblical Christianity in that biblical Christianity believes that God is identified, taught, believed, revealed, not through silence, but through the exact opposite of silence, the word of God. In fact, God showed to the prophet Amos a long time ago that there would come a time. He said in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I believe that God was revealing to Amos the times that we're living in right now when people, when people, rather than having the daily bread of the word of God in their life, they're choosing the famine of silence of not hearing the words of God. They're actually choosing to hear a God that is silent rather than hearing a God that speaks through the pages of his word. Contemplative prayer is further defined as a path of transformation. Contemplative consciousness, says Thomas Merton, is a transcultural, transreligious, transformed consciousness. It can shine through this or that system, religious or irreligious, which basically means, here again, that contemplative prayer can be practiced by those who are Christians or those who are not Christians, essentially saying that anybody in the world through this religious practice that Jesus told us not to do can tap into the God that is within them. Folks, there's a setup in all of this, and I'm going to show you what this setup is as we move through this video. You're going to see something that, to me, I, here again I say this, the biggest danger moving into the Protestant church in America is through contemplative prayer. We mentioned Thomas Keating a while ago. He actually wrote a brochure. You can actually get this online at his website. Uh, it's called The Method of Centering Prayer, The Prayer of Consent by Thomas Ke Keating. Now, I want you to notice that he's using this verse here, Psalm 4610, Be still and know that I am God. Now, everybody that reads that verse would look at that and say, well, you know, that's God saying to us, be still and know that I am God. I think to those who practice contemplative there and prayer and those who are promoting contemplative prayer, I think it has twisted itself in its meaning or is being twisted in, in its meaning, is that they're telling you that you can say to yourself, be still and know that I am God. The very first thing that was promised by the devil to mankind was the concept that man could become gods. Genesis chapter 3. This is the ultimate end of contemplative prayer. The union. Now get this. I, I know that one of these days I want to be united with God. But the clear message of Bible Christianity is that we are made one with God, made even with God, by way of the cross of Jesus Christ. For by grace are we saved through faith, and not of 
works, and contemplative prayer is at its best works salvation. It's teaching men that if we perform the right ceremony, the right rituals, if we get our mind in the right place, if we, 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 we do this, then we'll be at one with God. And the whole message of the Bible is that we cannot do anything to be at one with God. Only Jesus can make us, can unite us with our Heavenly Father. Only Jesus and the cross of Jesus can do that. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of words, lest any man should boast. And so here, according to this, we can be one with God by this ritualistic mantra repeating practice called contemplative prayer. He says in this, he said, we may think of prayer as thoughts or feelings expressed in words, but this is only one expression. In the Christian tradition, contemplative prayer is considered to be the pure gift of God. It is the opening of mind and heart, our whole being to God, the ultimate mystery. I mentioned that before, and I want you to see this, because now that he has mentioned the ultimate mystery, I want to show you something. We're going to look at a word in the Bible. That word mystery is in our Bible. And it's there 22 times. And the number 22 is the number for revelation in the Bible. And every time you see the word mystery in the Bible, it tells us who are Bible Christians that this mystery is revealed. Now, I'm going to contrast something right off to you. Here we have two concepts concerning God. One, that God is a revealed secret. And the other is that God is still a mystery. Everybody that promotes contemplative prayer and these prayer practices and the spiritual formation they're going, to, they're going to equate it with what's called Christian mysticism, the concept that God is still a mystery. But I want you to look at the scriptures. Mark chapter 4, verse 11, here is the very first occurrence of the word mystery in the King James Bible. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. In other words, God said to you who believe the Bible and who trust me and trust my atonement and understand that the Bible is the word of God, not believe that God's in silence somewhere, you will understand and know and have revealed to you the mystery of the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 16, Now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. And I submit to you that there is a group of people on this earth, Bible Christians, that God has charged them with the idea of revealing who God is to every nation of the earth, to everybody. Go ye into all the nations and preach the gospel, revealing the true nature of God. And I think there's a counter group in this world. There's certainly a lot more of them that are trying to conceal something by saying that God is a mystery. Now, I'm going to contrast one more thing for you in the scriptures concerning this mystery. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is, watch this, the mystery of godliness. And you say, see, God, godliness is a mystery. No, he's going to reveal to you what this Mystery of godliness is, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here it is. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. The Bible is revealing to you the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness is that Jesus Christ, God, 
came down in the flesh. He was manifest in the flesh. The person of Jesus Christ is the revelation of the mystery of God itself, that God became a man. He became our high priest. He died a sacrificial atonement for us on the cross, and he ascended back into heaven as the faithful high priest, who now is the mediator between God and men. Christ is the ultimate bridge between God and men, the mediator, Jesus Christ. Now, that is the mystery of godliness revealed. Then we see what's called the mystery of iniquity. And if Jesus was the revealed mystery of godliness, then another Jesus, the Antichrist, is the mystery of iniquity. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And any time we're talking about, any time you hear the mystics talk about mystery this and the mystery of God, then we understand what spirit is driving that mystery. Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, and upon her forehead was the name written, mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Revelation 17, 7, and the angel said unto me, wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which has seven heads and ten horns. So now we have, you can either choose the mystery of godliness, which is revealed to us in the pages of the Bible, and be a Bible Christian, or you can choose mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, the exact opposite of who God is. You can choose the Christian mysteries not revealed and be led into what's called Christian mysticism. Now, Christian mysticism is not just Christian. Mysticism exists in every other religion in the world. There is always a branch of those religions that deals specifically with mystery ideas, secret knowledge, elevated status, illumination, they call it. One source calls it a belief in or the pursuit in the unification with the one. That's a New Age term for God or the Messiah or some other principle. The immediate consciousness of God or the direct experience of religious truth. Mysticism is nearly universal and unites most religions in the quest for divinity. Now, something that you will find as a common theme among those who practice mysticism or those who practice and promote contemplative prayer is the ecumenical nature of all of this. And what am I saying by using that word? I'm saying that there will come a point, and we know this to be true according to the scriptures, that all the earth's religions are going to combine and unite. And I'm here to tell you that contemplative prayer is what's going to unite all of these religions together. The article goes on to say, Catholicism, going back to its medieval mystical tradition, has a rich heritage of spirituality which it needs to recapture. But I'm interested in deep ecumenism. I think that the deeper you go into your own tradition in terms of spirituality, the closer you come to the living waters of wisdom. In this image, God is a great underground river. And I want you to notice that. God is a great underground river. There are many wells into this river. There's Buddhism, Taoism, Judaism, Sufism, the goddess, native traditions, and Christianity. 
Now, I'm going to, I want you to remember this concept here of that God is a great underground river because I'm going, to, I'm going to show you what really that means here in just a little bit. But he mentioned here in this article, he mentioned Sufism. Now, a couple years ago, I didn't know what that was. But Sufism is a branch of Islam. It is a sort of a mystical Islam. It is Islamic mysticism is what it is. And here is how Sufism is described. Prayer in the form of constant repetition of the various names for the divine, is the chief Sufi tool for such growth. This skill is first developed with the help of a rosary, but after time it can become an integrated part of one's mental activities. So, regardless of one's activities, silent prayer can take place. Further techniques, including fasting, a 40-day retreat at some point is not uncommon. Now, I'll stop right here. Those of you who have heard of Ramadan, which is this... Uh, Islamic festival where they fast 40 days, that's part of it. And I will tell you, and I'm going to go ahead and inject this in this. Can you think of a guy, a a so-called Christian guy, who is promoting 40 days of something, 40 days of purpose? We're going to get to him in just a little bit. This is where it all comes from. A 40-day retreat at some point is not uncommon. And the use of music and movement to induce blissful Translike God-intoxicated states. Now, remember that we talked about the wine of Sodom being the poison of dragons. And I want you to think about things that are intoxicating or the state of inebriation, because we're going to see it here in just a little bit. Quoting a short biography by Carolyn T. Marshall on the life of St. Teresa of Avila, who was one of these promoters of contemplative prayer, It says, after a long, prolonged sickness that almost led to her death, Teresa was introduced to the third spiritual primer by Francisco de Osura, a Franciscan. De Osura followed a tradition of Christian mysticism that had been deeply influenced by the Sufi mystics of Islam. In this system, emphasis is placed on prayer in which the worshiper detaches himself from everything except God, a sort of spiritual Intuition, remember that word, which is combined from memory, will, and understanding, enables the supplicant to receive a direct experience of God, who then illumines the soul with knowledge of himself. And basically, this is saying that Teresa of Avila was introduced to contemplative prayer by way of the mysticism of Islam, which is Sufism, the godlike intoxication. Now, Back to the mystic encyclopedia. Remember they talked about God is a great underground river. You know, several years ago when I was researching Dan Brown's uh, The Da Vinci Code and researching all of the background material that went into that, I discovered that a, a common element in all of the occult sciences or the occult religions is a belief in what's called Arcadia. Arcadia, they say, is an underground stream. Now I want you to think of something for a minute. I want to show you this in the Bible. Where is God right now, according to the Bible? He's not underground. He is is up in heaven. He is up high. Can you think of somebody right now that is underground, characterized by a river? There was a rock group several years ago called Styx. Nobody knew what the name of that was. The word Styx was the Greek term for this underground river that flowed through hell. And so I want you to begin to get this concept that they said that God is an underground river and all of these religions are wells from which 
this stream comes forth into people's lives. Think about the setup and think about where we're going this. Now, it goes on to say, connect, to connect with the great river of mysticism, we all need a path. But when you get down there, there's only one river. What I'm doing is connected with the east. I have a Hindu from India teaching Shakta Yogi in my program. We teach Tai Chi and Aikido. We have Sufis, Buddhists, Jews, Catholics, and Protestants, and witches. So the future of religion is interdenomination. And remember, they're teaching this Arcadia, this grand underground stream. And I'm going to show you what that stream is. That all of these wells of all these different religions are tapping into and up, rising up from this underground stream is this new god. It's the god of the new age. It's the Antichrist. Masonic author Manly P. Hall said, Many ancient mystical traditions speak of a god who was cast into a river and is awaiting the day when he will rise from the river. These gods, he says, were all worshipped with the wine of ecstasy. Think of that wine again and think of drunken states. Manly Hall goes on to say, The Egyptians also believed that Osiris, which is the, the sun god, was the river Nile. Now, Osiris, in the mystery languages, is none other than the beast, the Antichrist, the one who rises from the sea. Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 3 says, Speak and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, Pharaoh king of Egypt, who is the type of the Antichrist, the great dragon that lieth in the midst of the rivers. So, get this concept, this underground stream, that all of these religions of mysticism is talking about is none other than the beast himself who is underground, who is going to rise up one of these days. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. So now we're seeing a connection here. Contemplative prayer is nothing more than a setup to get church people into accepting 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the mystery of iniquity that the, that the Apostle Paul was referring to. Now we're going to look at some of the promoters of contemplative prayer, and your eyes are going to shoot right out of your head. You're going to see something that you've never seen before. You're going to see some people promoting this deadly, dangerous practice People that you probably prayed for, listened to, followed, sent money to, you're going to see some of these people. Now, again, this list comes from Lighthouse Trails Research. You can go to their website. I hardly recommend them as, as, as far as a source of contemplative prayer. You have names like Elise Bailey, an occultist, founded the Arcane School. Ken Blanchard, founder of Ken Blanchard Companies and Lead Like Jesus Leadership Conferences. You know, this sounds Christian. Brother Lawrence, a, a practicing monk. Jack Canfield, creator and author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Larry Crabb, Christian clinical psychologist. Uh, Tilden Edwards, founder of the Shalem Prayer Institute. Richard Foster, Quaker and founder of Renovare. Matthew Fox, former Dominican priest. Thomas Keating, a Catholic monk. Dan Kimball, author of The Emerging Church. Brennan Manning, former Catholic priest. Barbara Marks Hubbard, an influential New Ager. Brian McLaren, who is one of the leading names in the emerging church movement, is a pusher of contemplative prayer, and he practices it himself. 
Thomas Merton, now deceased Roman Catholic monk. Henry Nowen, deceased Catholic theologian. M. Scott Peck, psychiatrist and author of The Road Less Traveled. Robert Schuler, pastor of Crystal Cathedral. Agnes Sanford, author of Healing Light. William Shannon, New Age biographer. Wayne Teasdale, coined the term inner spirituality. Teresa of Avila, we talked about her earlier, Catholic nun. Evelyn Underhill, Roman Catholic, author of Mysticism. Neil Donald Walsh, author of Conversations with God. Rick Warren, pastor and author of The Purpose Driven Life. Marianne Williamson, contributed to Making a Course in Miracles. Mike Iaconelli, late founder and owner of Youth Specialties. Mark Iaconelli, son of the late Mike Iaconelli, very active in the contemplative prayer movement. Henry Blackaby, author of Experiencing God. Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek Community Church. David Jeremiah, pastor of Turning Point Ministries, author of Life Wide Open. He was a speaker at Ken Blanchard's Lead Like Jesus Seminars, an American Association of Christian Counselors. He is openly endorsing contemplative prayer. Max Lucado, you've heard of him, Sue Monk Kidd. Uh, Beth Moore, founder of Living Proof Ministries for, what, for Women. Watchman Nee, mystic author of The Spiritual Man. John Ortberg, Eugene Peterson, author of The Message Bible. And I submit to you, if you've ever read The Message or seen our videos on them, you will know that The Message is none other than a New Age version of the Bible. And I believe that Eugene Peterson contemplative prayered familiar spirits into his life that led him to translate the Bible in this way. Uh, Peter Singh, a Buddhist, author and founder of Society for Organizational Learning, a New Age movement. Michael W. Smith, promoter of Brandon Manning's book, Above All. Charles Stanley, Southern Baptist evangelical pastor, author of How to Listen to God. He espouses the belief that God continues to speak to man today outside of his word. In the 993 In Touch magazine, Stanley quotes favorably from mystic Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of discipline. Andy Stanley, pastor, spoke at Kim Blanchard's Lead Like Jesus conference in 2005. Chuck Swindoll, evangelical pastor of Insight for Living, author of So You Want to Be Like Christ, Eight Essential Tools to Get You There, a book on the solitude and silence of contemplative prayer. John Michael Talbot, a Christian musician, is also a Roman Catholic monk. And the list goes on and on and on. And I'm telling you, if you'll just start watching for some of these people, eventually, it's going to, they're going to come out of the closet in endorsing contemplative prayer. There was a video that circulated. You can still buy new copies of it called Be Still and Know That I'm God. Remember that phrase. Remember what we said about it earlier. This video, endorsed by Henry Cloud, Richard Foster, Max Lucado, Beth Moore, and scores of others, did nothing but promote this stillness prayer, this silence prayer, contemplative, mystic Christianity in video form, which everybody, you know, when you use videos, you, you reach a lot of people, and that's exactly what has happened. And now we have thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of church members all across the country promoting contemplative prayer. Another organization, Youth Specialties, owned by Zondervan, youth, through Youth Specialties and many other youth-oriented organizations, our youth are being taught to treat the Bible as a meditative vehicle rather than a source of knowledge to further our understanding of God. In their magazine called Esoteric, which I'm going to stop right here. The word esoteric, you know what that means? Secret knowledge. Their magazine actually is called Esoteric, a book of secret knowledge. In one of their articles, they, they had an article called Teaching Dreaming Language to Young People. And the article goes on to say one way to help 
your students rehear a passage is to use an imaginative prayer exercise that allows students the chance to imagine themselves inside biblical narratives as characters or witnesses to the story in order to help them think through and experience the stories of, and, of scriptures and God's role in these stories. And they go on to say, we want to help you open your students up to a new encounter with God's Word. So here you'll find a free exercise from Imaginative Prayer for Youth Ministry. And all the youth groups, and these youth groups now in churches are huge. It's a youth, this is a huge ministry, a multi-billion dollar ministry, uh, industry in this country. And going into the youth groups, through the youth pastors, through the literature, and churches all across this world, they're teaching them New Age Christian mystical practices where young people, and you're going to see this in a minute, they're not hearing the voice of God. They're hearing a different voice of a different God, and I'm going to show you that from the pages of the Bible. One of the main writers, as we mentioned earlier, for Youth Specialties is Mark Iaconelli, and he's a regular featured speaker at Youth Specialties National, National Youth Workers Conventions, and he actually wrote the book on contemplative youth ministry. Here is what one of the authors of, from Youth Specialties wrote concerning their own prayer practice. He was teaching in a seminar, and he was asked the question, you're going to teach us to meditate? That's right, I said. Isn't that New Age or Buddhist, she asked? Well, Buddhists do meditate, and there are many New Age meditative prayer practices, but what I'm going to teach is Christian meditation. I silently promised myself never to use the word meditation in a public Christian setting ever again. What's the difference, she asked. Well, on the surface, nothing. The approach to meditation for a Buddhist looks an awful lot like what I do. The difference is the reason we're doing it. The Buddhist empties the mind for the sake of emptying it. The Christian empties the mind to fill it with Christ. He later goes on to write about his inward journey. He said, therefore, I was largely alone in my explorations. I was tired of debates with classmates who accused the disciplines of being occult practices, so I started using the phrase listening prayer when I talked about my own experiences in meditation. I built myself a prayer room, a tiny sanctuary in a basement closet filled with books on spiritual disciplines, contemplative prayer, and Christian mysticism. In that space, I lit candles, burned incense, hung rosaries, and listened to tapes of Benedictine monks. I meditated for hours on words, images, and sounds. I reached the point of being able to achieve alpha brain patterns. I'm going to show you what that is in a little bit. You, you just, you're going to flip out. The state in which dreams occur while still awake and meditating. I made many journal entries of my prayers, thoughts, and dreams. Now, I want you to get this. Here's one of the editors, writers for one of the leading youth ministry publishing companies in the world. And he just revealed to us that he goes into a little place, he lights candles, he hears Benedictine monks chant, he chants, he goes into an alpha state, an altered state of consciousness. He practices what everybody in the New Age practices, transcendental meditation. He practices that and then he writes down his insights, and I promise you those insights are being fused into the curriculum of what's ending up in our Sunday school rooms, our vacation Bible schools, our Bible commentaries. It's these people are standing, behind, are standing behind and influencing the people that are standing behind the pulpits. And I'm telling you, they're not hearing from the Holy Ghost of God. They're hearing from some other spirit. 
Nat Press came out several years ago with a magazine called Pray Kids, Adventures with Jesus in Prayer, promoting contemplative prayer, calling it Going to the Next Level. In this, now, this is for children. In this article, they quoted Brother Lawrence, who was a 17th century French monk who is best known for his example of the contemplative life. He practiced God's presence in every minute of his day while working as a monastery cook. The secrets of Brother Lawrence's devotion to God apparently lay in his hearty renunciation of anything that did not lead to God, his belief that God was the beginning and end of all his thoughts and desires, and his conviction that prayer was nothing more than, than the continuing sense of God's presence. You specialties also promotes what's called deep breathing, a practice used often in New Age meditation techniques, yoga, and hypnosis. Now, we mentioned Rick Warren a while ago. This is a direct quote from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Church. Look at what he said. Many Christians use breath prayers throughout their day. You choose a brief sentence or a simple phrase that can be, here it is, repeated to Jesus in one breath. You are with me. I receive your grace. I'm depending on you. I want you. I belong to you. Rick Warren wrote something that is in direct contradiction to the word of God, where Jesus told us to not use vain repetitions in our prayers. Rick Warren says, use these vain repetitions and pray them to Jesus. And in doing so, you will hear the voice of God on the inside of you. Moving into the churches across America, things like Lectio Divina, Logos Meditation, called Sacred Reading, a slow meditating on a portion of Scripture without exegesis or analysis. In other words, without thinking. This is similar to a chant used in yoga. In fact, yoga is one of the fastest-growing movements among these contemporary modern churches right now. All of these pastors, all these pastors' wives, all these youth groups, all these people are now having yoga sessions inside of the house of God. They are hearing from some other God other than Jesus Christ in their houses of worship. Let's learn a little bit about yoga. Here's the cover of a book that I have on kundalini yoga. Now, I'm going to explain kundalini here in a little bit. This is from the Divine Life Society, and here is how they define yoga. The word yoga comes from the root yuj, which means to join, and in its spiritual sense is that process by which the human spirit is brought into, near, and conscious communion with, or is merged in the divine spirit. Now, here again, we go back to this well, and we have all of these religions tapping into this well, into this underground stream called Arcadia, which we now know is the stream or the river of the Antichrist. And he's saying that you become one with this divine spirit through the practice of kundalini yoga. Now let me explain a little bit about what kundalini is. Kundalini is this, is this New Age Eastern mysticism concept that at the base of your spine is a coiled-up spirit. It's a serpent. And this serpent wants to rise up. Remember the dragon that's in the river coming up through these wells. That's the same symbolism. This spirit wants to rise up. This serpent wants to rise up the 33 bones of your spinal column and enter the pineal gland in your forehead, which is why you see all these Indian people with this little mark on their forehead. It represents the divine enlightenment of kundalini or raising the serpent from the lower depths. And here's an image of it here from this book on kundalini yoga. This serpent is now in a deep well that's on fire. 
This is the Antichrist, and Kundalini Yoga, hence yoga practices, hence mysticism, hence contemplative prayer, is all about raising up this beast that is in the fire, the pit, the well, the bottomless pit, the Bible calls it, the beast that is rising up out of the pit, to bring him out to become the god of this world. That's what yoga is about. That's what the Eastern mysticism is about, and that is what contemplative prayer is all about. Now, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Revelation 17, 8, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they beheld the beast that was and is not and yet is. And so scripturally, we understand now the truth or the mystery behind contemplative prayer. And we mentioned earlier that Sufism and all these groups, they practice this contemplative prayer, this meditation, and it brings them into what's called a God-intoxicated state. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, we're just going to take a little journey through Scripture, and we're going, to let the descript, we're going to let the Scriptures define for us the difference between soberness and intoxication or drunkenness. And I'm telling you, the Bible warns us specifically against being drunk, whether that's drunk physically or drunk spiritually. Notice what the Bible says. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9. Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that you may put difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. God is simply saying that if you're drunk, as a job of the priest, you're supposed to know the difference between a clean animal and an unclean animal. And God says if you drink wine and strong drinks, you will not know the difference. No wonder we're seeing the de-evolution of mankind through contemplative prayer, through drunken states that are coming out of our pulpits and out of our church members because people are no longer able to tell what's right and what's wrong. That's why we have sodomy going on everywhere in churches all across America, and it's being accepted now. Why? because of the intoxicating spirits that are flowing through our churches. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The Bible's telling you that wine and this spirit is a deceiving spirit, and instead of bringing wisdom, it'll bring foolishness. Proverbs chapter 23. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth how? like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. That's Mystery Babylon the Great. And thine heart shall utter perverse things. So here again, we're seeing the association of wine and strong drink with a change in the doctrines of the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. God is showing you opposites here. He's not saying they're the same. He's showing you opposites. The wine of this world, the wine, the vine of Sodom, will bring you into drunkenness, an altered state of consciousness. The wine of the Holy Spirit of God will cause you to stand and be sober and rational in your thinking. Let's look at the word sober in the scriptures. 
For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. The word sober is from the Latin word sobrius, which means without inebriation or without drunkenness. And notice that God tells us to think, to think soberly, to not empty our mind, to not have all of our rational thoughts evacuated out, to not just be a total void in our brain. He tells us as born-again Christians, being filled with the Spirit, to think soberly. First Thessalonians chapter 5, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for, you di- for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken, are drunk in the night. Notice the contrast here. Sleep happens at night. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and of love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 57 says, And I will make her drunk, I will make drunk her princes, he's speaking of Babylon, and her wise men, her captains, and her rulers, her mighty men, and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake. Now, I want you to think about this, because the Bible is teaching you what psychiatrists already know, that when you lower the brainwave patterns, and we're going to see this, when you lower the level of your, of your critical thinking in your mind, you tend to go to sleep. They say hypnosis is sort of like a sleep, but it's not quite a sleep. So is alpha brain patterns that we talked about, or this trance that, med- that contemplative prayer brings you into, and the Bible equates it with drunkenness. First Timothy says that a bishop must be sober. He said their wives must be sober. Titus 2 says that the aged men must be sober. The aged women likewise be sober so they can teach the young women to be sober. He says that the young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In other words, everybody in the church is to be sober-minded, not drunk. You will never, ever, ever see in the pages of the Bible a commandment from God, an imploration from God for us to be drunk. Never. God tells us to be sober. He tells us in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. He says in 1 Peter, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. I'm going to stop right here. You think about what he's saying here. Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, have it together. Have it together. Be able to think right. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us as human beings is the ability to think rationally, to think logically, to have our mind working in a proper manner, to be able to be taught things and learn things and read and see the world around us and have understanding. That is the greatest thing. And it comes through girding up the loins of your mind, just as, just as someone who is physically drunk would be loose in their actions, loose in their words, loose in the morality, so someone who is drunk spiritually, have that same looseness as well. And God said, gird up the loins of your mind and be 
sober. First Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober. And watch this now. And watch under prayer. He's connecting it here for us. He's telling us that sobriety is the way that we should pray. The opposite of this commandment of Scripture is to pray in a drunken state. That is exactly what contemplative prayer is all about. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, here it is. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The Bible's trying to tell you that the reason why you should be sober is so that you can tell that there is a lion waiting around the corner, waiting to devour you. So those who are slipping into an altered state of consciousness will never know who this lion really is. They'll be told that it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, but it's not. It's the devil masquerading as Jesus Christ. This is the danger that the church is heading into right now. Now, I've mentioned so far, I've mentioned contemplative prayer, and it's been mentioned by those who practice contemplative prayer that contemplative prayer is like a form of hypnosis. And they mentioned what was called the alpha state of consciousness. Now, I found this on a website, interestingly enough, for children, a website for kids. It was called Hypnosis for Kids, the school for wizards. And in this, there's an explanation and what I believe to be an accurate representation of brain waves. And so here you have brain waves. The brain wave frequency called the beta frequency operates at 14 to 40 CPS. That state of consciousness is regarded as fully awake and alert, which would be sobriety. Generally associated with left brain thinking activity, a conscious mind. Now, I'm going to show you the left brain, right brain here. Just I have a really neat graphic I want to show you on this, okay? So anyway, the normal state that, that let's say that I'm in right now or you're in watching this, watching this video is a beta state. Your, your left brain, which controls the critical logical thinking processes of your mind, they're working, okay? They're working. I'll show you the graphic here in a little bit. Everything's working the way it should. And, you know, we, 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 we hear things. And we are conscious of the world around us. We're thinking critically. We are being helped by the right brain or the right side of our brain, which has to do with creativity, imagination, things like that. And both of them work beautifully well together. God's given us a, a great, wonderful mind. But generally, when we're fully conscious and fully awake, the left brain is in charge. It's in control. So we make rational, deliberate decisions on the things that we're going to do. When we're driving cars, we need to have the left brain working pretty well. All right? So that's the beta uh, frequency. The alpha frequency slows down. The brain is slowing down. It's called relaxed, daydreaming, generally associated with right brain thinking activity. Subconscious mind, a key state for relaxation. Anybody that has led you into a relaxation technique or relaxation this or that and the other, they're slowing the brain down. The theta frequency, deeply relaxed, dreaming. Remember what he said a while ago about dreaming while he was awake. Dreaming, generally associated with right brain thinking activity. Deeper subconscious to superconscious, access to insights, bursts of creative ideas, 
a key state for reality creation through vivid imagery. This is New Age stuff here. And then the delta. The delta symbol is a triangle. The delta symbol itself is a symbol for transformation. Delta brainwaves are very, very slow, almost non-moving. Generally associated with no thinking, unconscious, superconscious, access to non-physical states of existence, a key state for healing, regeneration, and rejuvenation. Deep, deep sleep is what it's all about. Now, I love this graphic. This graphic perfectly illustrates the hemispheres of the human brain. God designed a wonderful thing here. On the left side, the left side of your brain controls the right side of your body. The left side of your brain controls logical, critical thinking skills, visualized by people sitting, working on computers, writing computer programs, logic, and things like that, accessing files, as it were. When someone asks you a question and you're required to give a truthful answer, you have all these guys in the cubicles accessing files, so you're looking through files of information so you can give an accurate response to that. That is the left side of your brain. It sees everything is black and white, either on or off, right or wrong. That's how it is. Now, God has given us another side to our brain because God's a good God to us. We're not just like Vulcans on Star Trek, just making logical responses to everything. We have a creative side. We have a, uh, a, an emotional side, a feeling side. And so notice the graphic again. Uh, the artistic nature of mankind comes out, whether he's drawing or doing music or he's going through a walk of the woods or he's just musing on different things. This is the creative side of our brain. Now, if you allow me to use this illustration, we have in us a male side and a female side. Men generally tend to think more logically. Women generally tend to think more creatively, although they do both, because God gave us these two wonderful parts of our brain that are meant to work together. And the scripture says, can two walk together except they be agreed? But as in the case of scripture, in a marriage, only one can be in charge, the male, the man. Now, I'm going to show you where I'm going with this here in a minute. You're going to see the glory of God in activity inside of our very bodies, inside of our brain. But God didn't just put man on the earth. Remember, God said it is not good that the man should be alone. I will give him a help, meat for him. And so God gave man the woman. And in a beautiful godly marriage, the man is aided by the counsel and advice and the wisdom that God gives to the woman. I in my life rely upon the counsel given to me by my wife who prays, God if I'm to lead my husband and counsel him wisely, help me do it in a godly manner. And God has blessed our marriage now almost 23 years. And God has worked that way inside of our marriage. We've been taught to accept the world's way that feminism has brought into us. But God has a wonderful way here. And I want you to think now, if you were flying in an airplane, would you want a pilot that wants to land the plane anywhere or a pilot that wants to land on the, on the only place reasonable to land, the runway. Now, I'll also tell you how also this works. We have this guy, Captain Sullenberger, who flew this airplane. When, they, when all the airplane's engines went out here in New York City, you saw this on the news. Instantly, his logical thinking was they were trying to get him to land at a runway somewhere. He couldn't do it. 
the creative side of his brain began to work along with the logical part of his brain, and instead of landing in an airstrip the way he should have, he landed in a river. And yet in doing so, the creative side of his brain, working with the logical side of his brain, saved the lives of everybody on that plane. This is how it's designed to work. Now I'm going to show you this. This is a rock. This is the image of the left side of our brain. It's static. It sees everything. It is unchangeable. This is an image of God the Father. For God said, for I am the Lord, I change not. Now, this is clay. Clay is intended to be movable, or you're intended to create things with it. And clay is figured as a woman, a female. In the book of Proverbs, she is the strange woman. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, but thou canst not know them. God said in Matthew 7, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. That's the straight and narrow way. That's the logical part of the male. Again, we see that contemplative prayer practices often use a maze or a labyrinth which represents her ways are movable, but thou canst not know them. And so in this graphic here, we have the static word of God represented by God the Father, which is the logical part. And yet when a spirit of Babylon, the harlot, rules over life or rules over a country, rules over a church, churches then are led by feelings, emotions, imagination, and intuition. And remember, all of these other altered states involved the right side of the brain, which is the imaginative or the intuitive side of the brain, leaving the logical, critical thinking skills completely out. Now, Getting back into these altered states of consciousness, you know, you have the uh, alpha state and you have the theta state and the delta state. I'm telling you that once you get into the alpha state, the goal is to reduce your brain activity even further, lulling you into a subconscious or unconscious deep, deep sleep that the Bible calls drunkenness. Here is what is said amongst the proponents of contemplative prayer, the mystics, the New Agers, and even the witch concerning the alpha state. Mystical states of consciousness happen in the alpha state. The alpha state also occurs voluntarily during light hypnosis, meditation, biofeedback, daydreaming, hypnagogic, and hypnopompic states. It is my belief that all information comes to us in alpha because all information in the universe consists of light energy. Light enters the pineal gland or third eye. Remember that located in the center of the head between the eyebrows, where many psychics say they experience physical sensations when they receive extrasensory information. That was written by Lori Cabot, who wrote The Power of the Witch. She also said Alpha is the springboard for all psychic and magical workings. It is the heart of witchcraft. She goes on to say the science of witchcraft is based upon our ability to enter altered states of consciousness we call Alpha. This is a state associated with relaxation, meditation, and dreaming. In Alpha, the mind opens up to non-ordinary forms of communication. Get that. Here we also experience out-of-body sensations and psychokinesis and receive mystical, visionary information. Richard Foster said in the Celebration of Discipline, if you feel we live in a purely physical universe, you will view meditation as a good way to obtain a consistent alpha brainwave 
pattern. One website said it should be noted that these studies represent the very best results that can be expected from the classical meditative disciplines as these individuals were totally immersed in the contemplative lifestyle. These individuals consistently produced mid to high frequency alpha waves. Lance Witt, who is a pastor at Saddleback Community Church, said this, the goal of solitude is not so much to unplug from my crazy world as it is, look at what he says, to change frequencies so that I can hear the Father. Richard Foster has said solitude doesn't give us the power to win the rat race, but to ignore it altogether. The following is from a website, chromisticaloutreach.com, promoting mystical contemplation methods such as mantra-like prayers. It is a question from someone having doubts about the mystical path. Question. Thank you so much for answering my email so promptly. One more question I would ask of you. Ever since this started in 1991, I have felt as if I'm now sharing my physical body with someone else. I can actually feel it. Sometimes it feels like hands inside of me, sometimes like a snake, sometimes like an animal or insect. It only stops when I'm asleep. It scares me so much that at times I think it must be a demon or evil spirit. Other times I think it is part of the dark night of the soul. Remember that? Can you enlighten me on this matter? Thank you. Here's the answer that this new ager wrote. Every single thing you have mentioned over the years I have felt. Feel blessed, not cursed or possessed. It is the Holy Spirit flowing through your nervous system. It sometimes takes a long time to become accustomed to the flowing of it. When you, when you hear some of these uh, people in the... Uh, New Age charismatic movement talking about the flow, the flow, the flow. Remember that underground river, the flow. This is demonic activity, folks, flowing through them. This is what they want to give you an impartation of. It sometimes takes a long time to become accustomed to the flowing of it. Have you ever gotten a spider web caught in your face and your whole face feels creepy and tingly? It's like that. Your nerves have a reaction to the sensation of the web against your face. Same thing with the flowing of the spirit. As the spirit opens up new pathways within you, you are going to feel movements of energy throughout your nervous system exactly as you described. It is a good sign that the spirit is continuing to work with you. Be grateful whenever the spirit works with you. It is a blessing. Yours in the spirit, even when it feels creepy. Now, what I'm going to bring you to now is the association of contemplative prayer with demonic possession, or what the Bible refers to as familiar spirits. This website called the Center for Contemplative Mind in Society actually has a, a graphic of a tree of contemplative practice. All of these different ways of getting in touch with familiar spirits, silence, centering prayer, insight meditation, sitting meditation. Uh, you have ritual cyclical practices such as vision quest or sweat lodge or building an altar or a sacred space. I mean, many, many, many ways of practicing or getting in touch with these familiar spirits. One website called the Universal Gnostic Fellowship has an article called Working with Your Spirit Guides. They say, if you do not already know your spirit guides, we recommend you start speaking to them. The basic way of doing this is through meditation and listening to your intuitive insights. Remember, that is the, the side of your brain that deals with creativity. Mystery Babylon the Great. Meditation is a process of moving your consciousness into higher planes while remaining in the physical plane. There are several meditative techniques 
The Universal Gnostic Church teaches three excellent techniques for those who want to work with their spirit guides. Essene Healing Breath Meditation, Kriya Power Meditation, and Contemplative Meditation. If you already know who your spirit guides are, we recommend you work with them on a regular basis. You can do that through channeling, visualization, and ritual, divination, and prayer. Channeling is a process of recording or repeating out loud for others what your spirit guides tell you. Now, I'm going to stop right here because, remember, a lot of these contemplative prayer proponents inside the church say that they have a habit, a regular habit, of once they hear this voice, they start journaling or writing down what it is. This is the New Age occult practice of channeling people. This is what's going on inside of the church. So you can imagine that a lot of the sermons that's being preached, a lot of the lessons that are being taught, a lot of the movements that are being made, a lot of the things that are being written down in books, literature, Bibles, you name it, is being channeled by familiar spirits. Channeling is the process of recording or repeating out loud for others what your spirit guides tell you or show you. You can do this by writing it all down or by recording it with an electronic device. You may also do it by repeating what is said in a private session to a large group. You may allow your spirit guides to bring other disincarnate people to deliver messages to you. When you channel, you're working with spirit guides. Praying with your spirit guides is an excellent way to develop a closer relationship with them. The Universal Gnostic Church recommends intentional prayer and contemplative prayer for that purpose. Folks, I hope I'm scaring you. I hope that the information that I've given you today, if you've ever considered getting into this, if you know of someone that is doing this or their church is starting to promote it, give them this video or warn them somehow, some way of the dangerous practices that they're headed into. Folks, they are about to be infilled with demon spirits in their soul. Look at what the Bible says about these familiar spirits and how they work. First Chronicles chapter 10, the Bible says, So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord. Remember, that's the Bible. That is the opposite of contemplative prayer, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. Now, I want to stop right here, and I want you to get this. Saul, at one time, was God's man. We know that to be a fact from Scripture. What happened? He rejected the word of Samuel, thus rejecting the word of God, and in replacement, rather than on this battle that he was going to, rather than consulting the word of God, he went to the witch of Endor, who contacted a familiar spirit. He rejected the word, and his replacement was a familiar spirit. And for that, God killed him. God allowed him to die because of his transgression. And I'm telling you, the death of the church is near because of contemplative prayer. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a-whoring after them. Remember, we'll stop right here again. The phrase a-whoring, mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. 
Those words are the same. They're identical in their idea and their nature because familiar spirits are being brought about by mystery Babylon the Great, mysticism, mystery ideas, contemplative prayer. The soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. God said, I will not tolerate it among my people, and I will cut them off. Friends, I'm telling you, a great falling away is taking place right now. And God, as the faithful shepherd, is separating the sheep from the goats right now by way of contemplative prayer. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we can expect a time in this world when massive amounts of churches, churches, at one time fundamental Bible-believing churches, were going to depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits. How is this working? How does the devil get such and such church in such and such town, a pillar of the community, preachers, a church that once preached righteousness and holiness and consistent Christian living and the blood of Jesus Christ by the word of God and the supremacy of the word of God, churches that used to preach those things? How is the transformation taking place? Well, it starts with the churches getting hooked into the system through publishing companies, radio and TV ministries, Nav Press, Group Publishing, Thomas Nelson, Zondervan, New Specialties, David C. Cook, Randall House, all of these are in one way or another promoting spiritual formation and contemplative prayer. They're writing the literature. The churches are buying the literature. They're teaching the literature in the classes. That's stage one. These publishing houses have been influenced by guys like Tony Jones, Brian McLaren, and Rick Warren. These are, the, these are the money guys. These are the guys, the movers and shakers in this whole church transformation scenario that we're laying out for you. These are the guys that are saying this is what needs to take place. The publishing companies are publishing what they're, written, what they're writing, being led by these guys, and pushing it down into the churches. These guys, by their own admittance, were influenced by guys like Thomas Merton, Father Thomas Keating. Are you seeing a pattern emerging here? Father this, sister this, the nuns, the monks, the priests. They were all inspired and led by the founder of the Jesuit order, Ignatius de Loyola, who was a faithful servant of the Vatican. All of these Rhodes people are leading back to the Vatican, which is the seat of authority of Mystery Babylon herself, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. She is the spirit that's bringing it in, that brought it into the Vatican, that pushed it out to the priests, that influenced the writers, that wrote the curriculum, that brought it into the church. And here we have churches accepting the curriculum and abandoning the word of God. That is how it happened. Now I want you to notice, Mystery Babylon has something in her hand. She has a cup. We're going to understand what that cup is. There came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. 
and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk, that's an altered state of consciousness, with the wine of her fornication. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand. We're going to look at that cup. Full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. All throughout history, this woman has been seen, characterized, holding a cup. This is from Alexander Hislop's The Two Babylons, showing a woman with a cup. Here's another one, a woman who is Mystery Babylon the Great, holding the cup. She is the mother of the Roman Catholic Church system. Manley Hall said in The Secret Teachings of All Ages, referring to this cup and the Antichrist, he said that cup to the multitude exhibited him as the god of drunken revelry. And of such revelry in his orgies, no doubt there was abundance. But yet, after all, the cup was mainly a hieroglyphic, and that of the name of the god. The name of a cup in the sacred language was Kus, and thus the cup in the hand of the youthful Bacchus, the son of Atheops, showed that he was the young Cush, or the son of Cush, meaning Nimrod. A communion cup or chalice was used in several of the ancient mysteries, and the god Bacchus is frequently symbolized in the form of a vase, cup, or urn. Masonic author Albert Mackey equates the cup with the Holy Grail with the lost word of Freemasonry. So here again, the symbolism of this cup, this cup that Mystery Babylon holds, this cup that makes all of the nations drunk, this cup that is making all of the contemplative prayers drunk into an altered state of consciousness, this cup is the symbol for the Antichrist. The drunkenness that is being brought into the churches now is nothing more than the drunkenness being brought on by the spirit of Antichrist that is working in our churches right now. This practice in these churches will undoubtedly lead to the rise, the emerging of the beast and the beast system in the last days. Now, God tells us and warns us about this cup. There is a cup in Christianity. It is the cup of the blood of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It is salvation by grace through faith brought to us by the cross of Jesus Christ. We memorialize the death and the suffering of Jesus Christ when we have our tradition of communion inside of our churches biblically based, non-intoxicating, non-drunken, communion in the church of Jesus Christ. But there's another cup, a cup that makes people drunk, a cup that brings people into fellowship, not with the real Jesus, but with another Jesus, the spirit of Antichrist himself coming in the last days. Of this, Paul warned us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Very clearly, God says you cannot have both ways. You're either going to be one or the other. God rejected Saul. He didn't say, Saul, you can still be mine, even though you sought after familiar spirits. 
God rejected him, as God does reject everyone who chooses to follow after the doctrines of devils and the seducing spirits, the demons that are contacted by way of contemplative prayer. Now, some might say, well, how, how then do you define prayer? Prayer is asking God things. How then do we hear God? We hear God not through hearing this inner voice on this inside of us, which we cannot trust. We hear God simply through the pages of our Holy Bibles. Here's what God said in Deuteronomy chapter 31. When all Israel has come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. God is heard by way of hearing his word. Remember what Paul said. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When they tell you that you can hear God by going into this meditative trance and this intuition coming out, I've even heard some of these ministers ask God, God, help us to intuit your voice. They're not wanting to hear God from the Bible. They're wanting to hear from the God that's rising up, emerging on the inside of them. And again, Amos chapter 8, verse 11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, spells it out very clearly. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, shall be abomination. God is warning us that those who have turned their backs upon the Bible and refused to hear the word of God written in the pages of their pure word of God, God says their prayers shall be turned into abominations. This is exactly what we're seeing. Now I want to show you one more verse on sobriety and the warning that we have. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. My friend, don't let anybody tell you to empty your mind. Don't let anybody convince you that prayer must be done in a meditative form. And you say, well, what about meditation? The Bible talks about meditation. Yes, the Bible says think on these things. It gives you a list. The Bible says meditate on the scriptures, not repeat them in a mantra. There is a difference. There is a difference between filling your mind with the pages of the word of God and thinking rationally on them and emptying your mind completely of all things. Therein lies the difference. And the command to us who are living in the last days, who know and believe this Bible, is to watch unto prayer and be sober. That is the job of watchmen. We watch, we see things, we're alert, we're conscious. You don't want a watchman on the wall who's asleep, do you? You want someone who is alert and conscious and able to spot the enemy wherever they crouch and lie in wait. The other job of the watchman is to blow the trumpet of the warning. That's the purpose of this video. Most of you who watch this are already in agreement, saying, yes, we do not practice it, and we want to be warned about it. But you might know somebody that goes to a church, somebody that may already be practicing this or is on their way to. You need to warn them. You need to warn them before it's Think on these things. Pray about these things. Warn 
people about these things. Let's stand as watchmen in the last day. This is Pastor Mike. I hope you've enjoyed this. Share it with others. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, I think uh, Pastor Mike Hogger did an excellent job in explaining uh, contemplative uh, prayer. And uh, I feel it's a really important issue. Um, I can only tell you from my own personal experience six years ago, I was involved with this stuff. I had no idea that it was called a contemplative prayer and what it was all about. I was in... Uh, AA and then going to a church called the Unity Church. It was a turned out to be a New Age metaphysical Christian church. An awful lot of the folks that uh, I knew in AA were were long timers. Uh, belonged to this that church. Um, I didn't know the Word of God. I didn't. I didn't know what I was doing. I got involved with that stuff. Um, I was reading stuff like The Secret and all that other stuff. Uh, it's embarrassing now to, to bring it up, <laughs> but that's who I was back then, and that's the brutal reality. <clears throat> and um, I have to tell you, it made a mess of my life. Uh, uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of weird things happen doing that stuff, visualization, uh, uh, contemplative prayer, uh, uh, the Eastern form of meditation, if you will, and um, uh, yeah, and you know, and the irony that that's when uh, my health started going bad too. And as far as the MS, multiple sclerosis, and uh, it's been a struggle ever since. Uh, I kind of look at the, the MS almost as a way, as a blessing, uh, in a weird way. Uh, God's way of waking me up. It took a long time to do that, um, and to help me uh, come out of the situation. Let me see. Yes, we have one of them here. They're way off. <laughs> so, anyways, yes, I'm free now. I've been free in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's my hope and my salvation, and. But you know, it's it's this is really important issue, and I don't know if people realize how bad it is. I do because I went through it. Uh, this stuff is devastating, not only you know, as far as your eternal salvation goes, but uh, it will destroy you even physically, and um, and it has destroyed many a person's life. This contemplative prayer, this. Uh, contemplative slash mystic mysticism and once again uh its roots come you know with the, the desert fathers um roman catholicism um and it's being used uh to corrupt the church and to bring everyone back into the quote the fold if you ecumenical at the ecumenical movement and um it's a tragedy. It really is. And it's very important for us to uh, warn people about this thing, uh, contemplate prayer, what it is, and help them recognize what it is. 
<clears throat> because it's an I mean, as I've read in the beginning of the show, uh, it's infesting even the Baptist church. It's infesting, infesting uh, all these churches. Um, doesn't matter who it is at this point. None of them are free um, um, uh, from it. Um, what do we do about it? I guess the only thing we do is just sound the alarm. Um, yeah, if anybody, you know, I think uh, Pastor Hoggard is, does some good work. I, I think, I think it's uh, can be a, a bit of addicting. You know, you be careful with that. Uh, it's easy to to use him instead of. Uh, reading the Bible yourself, so uh, not to say that he's not a good teacher. I'm just saying that um, we're all limited in what we can share, and ultimately none of us can replace the Word of God. So, um, yeah, I hope that everybody listens to this, that they get something out of it, and they pass it on to others. Uh, once again, this is part three of the contemplative prayer. Um, it's a personal issue for me, not only because of what I went through, but then I also have uh, a brother, my older brother. He's into this. And uh, ever since he started taking it seriously himself, too, ironically, about the same time, he was going a different direction. Because um, he, uh, well, he was professing that he was a Christian. And somehow he got himself in all of this, and he's in it. He's got his own little prayer shed and his books and all that stuff. And, and uh, it does make a mess out of you. It will physically make a, a wreck out of you. Making, I see it in him, too. And uh, I'm not judging him. I, I'm I'm just... And I, uh, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to my brother, but I think that I should be honest about what's going on. I mean, you don't know who he is or his name, so I'm not exposing him. I'm just telling him he's my older brother. So, um, but I, I, it is it, it's um, it ruins not only does it ruin your soul and and corrupt you and will keep you from having eternal life and salvation. Uh, it um, even if if that doesn't sink in, it will it will ruin you physically. Now, I know a lot of people that do this stuff, and they they have, uh, as far as the world goes, they become very wealthy and relatively powerful, you know, as standard of man. They have uh, big homes and all that, but it's amazing how many of them end up turning into, uh, they become so corrupt, so perverse. Um, I guess this is what we talk about in uh, in Romans and uh, the recompense of God, and it turns them into uh, a lot of them turn into sod- sodomites, uh, are perverse. You know, I mean, when I was doing it, I was pretty much end up uh, doing whatever I wanted uh, and to uh, do what thou do what thou wilt, uh, all the law type of thing, Aleister Crowley type of stuff. And I know that sounds kind of scatterbrained and going too many places, but really, it's all connected, and it. Um, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. And uh, so I have immense compassion for anybody stuck in this situation um, because, you know, that's how Satan works. That's how his minions work. It's through deception, right? Uh, false promises and more enslavement. So, yeah, you know, it's, it is amazing. 
the more and more I study this and research this, and it's you know this is not an attack once again on any individual or the you know people in general. Um, I think it's because of, of our uh, lack of faithfulness and lack of being willing to do what God asks and you know read His Word and put a faith in Christ. That these things happen, and for many of us. Uh, you know, this is we talk about the curses, if you will. Um, at least for me, how I'm seeing it right now, and the generational curses is not necessarily above, you know, quote unquote bad things happening. But the fact that because someone didn't teach me the Word of God properly and expose me to it, um, I look at my life, and uh, if. And they say, my son, and I can think of what's going to happen to him if he doesn't get the opportunity to, to know the truth. It will happen to him. I mean, it only leads down to a road of destruction. And so I hope people take this seriously. Anybody who listens to this, um, I hope that you, you pass it on to others. Um, and I hope people start taking it uh, to heart um, because... Uh, it's amazingly destructive. And, you know, the thing is, too, is part of the deception, too, is you'll see all these characters that are leading the, the movement, if you will, with the emergent, most, emergent church and contemplative prayer and with um, spiritual formation and exercises. And uh, you see, you're so gullible... We see these guys, and they all seem so happy. They have great smiles, and they are charming, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that I was swayed by that, but I, I, um, I was swayed by other motives. I was my own personal lusts and desires. But I see that, and I see that you know when we talk about NLP, neuro linguistic programming. The hand gestures, the smiles, you know, those, you know, keep a smile on your face. You know what? That's very deceptive. It's not a matter of what you look like from the outside, but what's going on inside and what is inside you between your ears. And um, we have been fooled. If the guy has a smile on his face, and somehow he's trustworthy, that somehow he's being genuine and honest, and um, it's not the case. And uh, our forefathers knew that. I mean, just a generation or two, people recognized that, knew that. Now, uh, I think really through uh, mass media um, and this whole idea of, you know, uh, winning and, you know, was it the winning and uh, gaining influence uh, of others and how to get the most out of people. Um, you know, Napoleon Hill and all that kind of stuff. Um, and people have lost a real connection to reality. I, I, the more and more I uh, learn about this stuff, learn about what's going on in the world, scripture, um, history, uh, it just blows my mind that uh, how disconnected we are in, in reality at this point. And um, how important it is to read the Bible and try to, to, to accept it and embrace it. And um, if there's something I've been guilty about in the past few months because of the show, I have to, and 
well, other issues too, but not being diligent enough reading the Word of God, um, and I have to keep working on that and, and disciplining myself with that. And you know, the daily bread of His Word um, that is far more important than this show or anything else. Um, so I encourage anybody who does listen to this, you know, if they get anything out of it of this show, get back to reading the Word of God and. Uh, Take it seriously, and don't take it as a burden, but as a blessing that you even had that opportunity. Um, so you don't you don't have to plow through it. You know you don't have to try to you know these things. You know people have these silly goals, and I shouldn't be to say it that way, but it is a bit of a silly goal if your goal is to say I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. Um, and the better goal is you know I'm going to learn. I'm going to try to understand it. I'm going to study it. Um, uh, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's yeah, for personal edification, but it's even more than that. You know, it's really know the Word of God. I mean, they have some intellectual defense of what's going out there and, and to know what he wants. So, and trying to plow through the Word of God is, is, is not very wise, I can tell you that much. I've done that before in the past. And needless to say, it uh, didn't help. <laughs> uh, it's much more efficient, I, for, at least for me, is to, you know, think of a topic and study it. You know what I mean? Study it. Uh, be honest, you know, you know, uh, do I really understand what, whatever it may be? Like right now I'm doing it, but, which is fascinating to me. I mean, going back to this whole thing, I've had three now uh, parts of this new series about the... Uh, the Sabbath or the, the New Covenant, and uh, wow, you know, how wrong was I? How wrong was I? And uh, and if I wasn't, God didn't put it in me that motivation to actually study it and challenge it. You know, my what I what I was thinking, what I what I know, uh, I wouldn't uh, be in this situation. You know, I would have changed. I would have been stuck. In bondage, worrying, you know, about something that totally uh, is uh, disrespectful and de- defeats. Well, defeats probably not the best word, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, disrespects and discredits Christ and what He actually did for for me and for us. And that, uh, thank goodness, we can just have, thank goodness for Christ and Christ alone and the Scripture, Scripture alone. You know, the more and more. Think about it. You know, it's, I know it's such a simplistic thing, and it it does challenge a man's ego because he's like, oh, how can it be so simple? Um, but you know, thank goodness it is because it's so much out there. Oh, I guess too. Thank you for showing up. I mean, I do appreciate that. Thank you for all the emails. I'll check them out. You got to send me a ton of them, bro. There's a lot to look at, so um looks like you've been doing your thing too, doing some research and exploring and figuring out stuff and um, yeah. So and uh those who've uh, been trying to contact me the past couple of days and yeah, thank you. Either by email or um uh, uh through the cell phone, texting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, 
lots more to, to talk about and study, so I don't want to waste too much more time here. This show is almost three hours long, and it's pretty long. So uh, I, I feel all right about having to be three hours long because uh, I think Mike uh, Hogger did a good job captivating anybody who wanted to listen to it. Um, and we'll do more episodes on this one, too. So this is an issue that is... It's a very dire issue, and um, I think Hogger is right, and so is others, that this spiritual formation, this uh, spiritual or contemplative prayer slash uh, uh, mysticism, Roman Catholic mysticism, uh, talk about the the wine, talk about the fornication and this um, poison. It's, is that is this what it was like in the days of Noah? You know what I mean? Was that what it was like in the days of Noah? Um, where people were just just so spiritually corrupt, it just uh, no one, hardly anybody even believed anymore. I don't know. Um, anyways. Um, I can imagine next tomorrow I'll do start to get back to doing uh, the uh, <clears throat> Roman Catholic slash Islam connection. And uh, well, I guess we'll leave it at that. So, so uh, thank you for joining me, guests too, and anybody else who will listen in the future. Thank you, and uh, God bless you. Love you. And uh, we'll leave it at that, okay? Alrighty. Yeah, you can share with me anytime you want to, Andrew. Thanks, man. Yeah, I gotta go too, so all right. Here we go. And uh, with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.